welcome to the mad ones i'm your t would totally be a vigilante if anyone got near my kids host cam harless and joining me tonight's guest host is edward bernay's greatest fear mr brad binkley that's right How you doing, buddy i'm good how about you <laughs> i'm doing all right we pulled up what uh, we were up until what four the other night streaming and so i'm, I'm yeah. still trying to catch up on my on still recover that with the uh the clock change last week oh it's, yeah it's tough. it was it was brutal um but but yeah i'm glad i'm glad you're here i think this is going to be a a really fun well dark in places for sure but it's gonna be a really good episode i think um but before we get to the episode i did want to let everyone know that this show is 100 percent brought to you by fans and patrons so hit like subscribe and share the show with your friends there are all sorts of topics that we've covered uh so share share those with someone who you think might gain something from them um also if you join patreon you'll get the occasional early episode you'll get extended editions of every episode that comes out i call that last call because i'm so cool so cool brad super cool um but you'll also get my eternal gratitude. So if you go to patreon.com slash the mad ones, you can grab a shirt or a mug over there. Um, actually, not there. Join the Patreon there. But you can grab a shirt or mug over at weirdthemadones.com slash store. Um, and you can rep us wherever wherever you go. Uh, also, my presidents with mullets and presidents, uh, wrestling presidents posters and shirts are up there as well. So if you haven't gotten one of those yet and you're interested, head over there. Um, but let's get let's do the show thing, Brad. Um, so joining us tonight is a man whose story you've probably heard, in, at least in part. Uh, his father is universally seen as a badass and a good father for taking out the man that kidnapped and sexually abused his son. He's the man who grew up out of that situation, became a voice for victims of sexual abuse, and wrote the book on his father, as well as how to protect your children from child predators. So please welcome to the show the author of Why Gary Why?, Mr. Jody Plowshay. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it was funny. I was telling you this a minute ago, but I, I saw your tweet where you put, you know, a picture of, uh, which was 39 years ago today of your, your father, Gary, shooting Jeff Doucette in the, um, the airport. And you said, you know, this is how you see my father. And you shared a photo of you and your father where y'all are smiling and you're like, but this is how I remember him. And I was, I, someone sent me that and I was like, man, I really would love to talk to this man. I know that unfortunately you lost your father in 2014, I believe. Yes. Um, and yes, so, you know, 2014. I, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I lost mine <clears throat> in 2021. So I, I definitely understand that. Um, but I just wanted to talk to you. So I randomly sent you a, a tweet and I was like, Hey, we should talk. And you were like, yes. I was like, this is the best thing. Twitter's great. <laughs> it can connect you with people that you never thought you'd speak to in real life ever. So um, I, this is definitely one of those stories that is dark and deep. And it's really cool, I think, to see how you have um, lived through that and not just, you know, made a life for yourself, but lived to help others who go through similar circumstances so welcome to the show i'm glad to see you i'm glad you're here <laughs> well but before we get into the darkness can i share my my highlight of my twitter uh history yeah um it. it has not, it has nothing to do with the story but um one Oop, he's gone for now it, mu it must have been something the cia did not like the, the highlight of his, his twitter story apparently not not a fan of 
Jody Plache's Twitter is uh, the CIA. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, speaking of Twitter, I, I, I tweeted out a, a screen image of the poem earlier that I got it to write about Hunter Biden and Haley Biden's relationship, which it wrote a poem about brother and sister turned lovers that would last forever. And then I think it kind of shadow banned it. <laughs> All right. Lost you there for a second, but you know, we, we, I, we I don't know what happened. My, yeah, my thing just went out. Um, anyway, so I stumbled across Gwen Stefani's uh, Twitter feed and I noticed that she, you know, had like 2.3 million followers, but she was only following like 88 people. And so I tweeted at her, I said, you got 200, 2 million followers or two, 0.3 million followers and you only follow 86 people. I said, you ain't no follow back girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's so now she follows that- 11, uh, 1100 people. Oh, wow. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a better ratio, but not, you know, not, not even close to mine, which is low because I, I recently got up to, I think I'm at 16 and a half thousand followers and I, I haven't I haven't really followed anyone back since because it's like when you get thousands of followers all at once, there's just no way to follow back. Like there's no way to know who it is or if they're going to be someone you want and stuff like that. So now I've got like 540 uh, that I follow versus 16,000. I'm like, am I a bad Twitterer for this? I don't. Yeah, I think yes. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, so I read your book <laughs> and I have to tell you, um, there were a couple of, th- well, for one, reading some of the sentences and paragraphs you wrote about your experience were some of the hardest things I've ever read. Um, and I, and what's really cool about that is you have a sense of humor and you, you, you know, you kind of put that into the story and your writing, but it's still like, I, what's funny is, you know, you always hear about rape kits, for instance. Um, but it wasn't, I, I didn't know how that worked, what that looked like. Or anything like I just knew that it was a thing and when I read about you having one like and then the results of it and you just very frankly talking about it I was just like wow this is so much more disturbing and I it, but it's good that we can find people and help people with, with them but it's so disturbing just even that part of it and and I cleaned it up like I, my mother was like <clears throat> she was like why don't you put more details I was like well um uh, what let me ask you this question what is this show rated what it, you're you're free is it is it PG thirteen uh, I mean because you saw how, you how I talk say. in the book all right so my mother was like why don't you put more details because there were, I mean there were some more things I could have put in there um, to make people hate Jeff even more but I don't, didn't feel like I had to and right. I told her I said well I gotta I gotta I gotta draw a fine line or I got to walk a fine line between, you know, a, a victim getting traumatized and putting the book down and not, not finishing it and not getting the good information that's in it and a pedophile jerking off to it. Yeah. Right. I, I, and I haven't even thought of that. Like you bringing that up? Like, of course someone would do that. Yeah. Like it's like penthouse form to a, a pedophile. Good Lord. Well, and, and that's okay. So I want, I want to get into the story, but one of the things that I, and, and there, there are some things that when, as I read it, I was like, you know, like there was kind of a roller coaster of how I felt about what your dad did, about Jeff, et cetera. I learned a lot through reading it. Um, but, and so I want to go through s- some of that. I have some questions that like, where I just couldn't square the circle of how certain things were discussed. Um, but um, let's, let's just go ahead and get into the story because i think that maybe 
the most interesting thing that most people don't understand when it comes to this sort of thing is uh, grooming and how it works because we kind of see it as just a one-on-one -on -one, uh, predator to prey. I hate the I hate putting it that way actually. You know, predator to uh, victim um, situation when in fact it's the whole town not just the kid but his parents and everyone around uh absolutely so, which is wild because i mean you just don't think of it in in those terms necessarily like naturally you don't think that they're trying but then you then i personally think of the hell's angels who do to tons of bad stuff and then they also do toy drives and everything else to make the community think that they're the good guys and trust them in some way so i mean there's there's a lot of patterns that go through even more than just sexual predation. Um, I like to compare it to a, 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 a spouse abuser or, or someone who beats their girlfriend or, um, you know, they don't, they don't act like that on the first date. You know, right. the first date, they don't go, you ain't wearing them. They're like, Oh, I like that mini skirt and that halter to top, you know, several months later, they're like, you're not leaving the house dressed like that. So they don't show their true selves on the first, you know, few dates or months or and that's the same thing with child predators i mean they they can't you know walk in a house touching themselves looking at little kids i mean they gotta gain the trust of the family they gotta get gain the trust of the child <clears throat> another thing too is they they're probably gonna be fun to be around uh jeff used to take us to arcades to movies he'd give us money we'd go to the mall i mean you take away the sexual abuse and, and him being a, a pedophile if you just had a normal guy like that that was like that for kids then he would have been one of the greatest people of all time but he wasn't oh, yeah. he was only he doing it like so he can have access to young kids it reminds me of that um bill ingvall joke which i heard you know decades ago which was you know being gay doesn't so sound so bad if it weren't for the sex because it's just hanging out with your buddies it's kind of the same <laughs> situation you know um, but let's let, let if, if you're willing, let's 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 talk about how this started because um, he was your karate teacher, and so how how do you go from karate teacher to um, kidnapping a kid and taking him to Disneyland? How does how does that happen? Oh wow, um, we started taking karate uh, from Jeff. Jeff was our second option. We actually had signed up. Um, to do it at this elementary school and this guy Rick came and he came for the first lesson I think he didn't show up for the second lesson and so it was like we'll, we'll hear back from him or whatever well the people who had organized that put, gave our names over to Jeff Doucette so that's how we were introduced to him well after a few you know karate lessons Jeff's talking to my mother and and telling him like, oh, your kids are really athletic. You know, they're meant for this sport. I mean, they could be really successful in karate. And so, you know, starts tooting or, you know, talking good about someone's kids. I mean, what parent is it like? Oh, man, this is great. <clears throat> so he he honored the, the commitment that the other guy bailed out on. And then uh, after that, he had a fighting team. Okay, think of the, the karate kid, you know. Um, we would go fight in tournaments. But before I ever fought in a tournament, um, he told that he had a group. He told my mother they had a group going to New Orleans to fight in a tournament. And normally, before they go do that, that they go to a movie or something like that. Well, my mother, he asked if we could go, be a, you know, go to the movies. A movie called They Call Me Bruce. Well, my mother 
called her brother and asked him, he worked for the sheriff's department to do a background check on Jeff. And my uncle allegedly did, but I don't think he did. Um, and he told my mother, no, nah, this guy's fine. So right there, my mother took an extra step before letting her kids go off with this man. She took the extra step to call her brother. Well, after we went and saw the movie that night, my cousin was having a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, so Jeff crashed the party. So it was me, Jeff, my brother, two brothers, my neighbor, and then the new kids in the karate that we had, you know, just kind of met went to Chuck E. Cheese, ran around, had fun. It was like, look, Jeff's a big kid. Oh, he's, he loves kids. And there was another incident where early on, this is probably before he ever touched me once, um, where he told my parents that he was injured. Um, he was climbing a fence when he was like seven years old and he slipped. And when he did the little barbs, you know, basically gave him a visectomy and he couldn't have kids. And so that right there was just one of those things that just kind of lowered my parents, you know, fear that this man might be like this. Um, right. once we started taking karate, we started fighting in tournaments regularly. We took a trip to Fort Worth and fought in the pro-ams. Well, that summer, Jeff came up with the idea to sell these uh, LSU commemorative mugs and a, a tiger rag bandana. It was a uh, thing of a Pittsburgh terrible towel, but LSU. And so my dad, actually, my dad's the guy, uh, put him in contact with a friend of his that owned a convenience store, like a 7-Eleven or a Circle K. And that man is the one who was going to purchase the 15,000 bandanas from Jeff that Jeff ended up taking the money and never give him the bandanas. And that's the reason why Jeff was leaving town is to avoid coming up with the money to pay this man or I guess face criminal charges for you know theft. And so when he left, since he had been sexually abusing me um, from my, my earliest recollection would be, you know, March of 83. Now, now we're in February of 84. And that's when he decided to, when he took skip town, he decided to take me. You were how old again at the time? Was it 11? I was 10 when he first started inappropriately touching me, and then I was 11 when I was kidnapped. So the, okay. the sexual abuse went on for about a year. Well, that's what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people um, that I've spoken to, and even, you know, without thinking, you know, we I when I thought about the story, you hear about him taking you to California and kidnapping you. And so I'm sure most people think that's when most of the sexual abuse happened was when he took you to California. When I read your book and it actually, you said it happened less in California because he was so worried about getting caught. And so most right. of and, it happened I, far before. Oh, way before. Um, I think the term I used in the book was it was better when I was in California because it wasn't happening as much. I mean, there was right. one night after he got some money, um, we got a room at the downtown Hilton in L.A., and uh, that was a rough night. And then the night before we went to Disneyland, that was a rough night. But other than that, the rest of the time, it was, uh, he was preoccupied with, okay, what am I going to do? I got to get a job. I got to find a way to get money. You know, he only had $550, and he blew 85 of that the first night on the hotel. Um, so lucky for me. Yeah, but yeah, most people think that he took me and then assaulted me. But no, he assaulted me and then took me. Right. Well, and, and what's you, you mentioned your mom had a background check uh, done on him. And one of the things you mentioned in your book was that he had had essentially his record expunged and he had done something previously. Uh, and so even that background check was no good. Is that is, right? I, I think what happened. <laughs> do what? 
I said, am I remembering correctly? Yes. No. See what happened when he was, uh, I think he was 16 or 17, um, in his hometown of Port Arthur, Texas. Um, he got caught, I think making a a young boy perform oral sex on him and his mother, I was able to convince the police to not charge him or whatever. And so he never really got in trouble for that. I think he had some, uh, felony grand theft auto that my uncle should have, if he did a background check, should have known about because that was, I believe, on his police record. That's why I don't think my uncle checked. Gotcha. Okay. So even it, it had your un- uncle checked, he would have seen something, if not that first thing. As right. Well. Yeah. Man. He, well, so- and he was underage, it sounds like, the first time, too. I think when it's underage, they seal it. And that, that so at least now, that can prevent things that people do when they're 17, reaching adulthood from anybody seeing. Right, but I don't, I don't think he was charged with it, so it never went past the initial, yeah. hey, look, Jeff, you know, so it, it didn't go that far because the cops didn't arrest him. But uh, I think his sister told my mother that when my mother and the police went to Port Arthur to look for me after Jeff had kidnapped me. I think the, the sister was like, oh, yeah, well, Jeff did this when he was 17. Jeez. I'm like, you're, you're telling my, my mother now. You should have been telling my mother that, you know, six months ago when you first met her. Right. Well, so let's, I want to talk about grooming a little bit because I mean, if you look at the news and Twitter, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are properly using the term, but there are also a lot of people who just use it willy nilly. And so, um, if you, uh, you, you know, you talked about how he would give you money, go to the arcades, stuff like that. Um, how did he ingratiate himself to, to everyone so that no one even suspected this. I mean, you said that there were even other kids that he was doing this with in your book at the, around the same time he was doing it with you. How do you get away with this up to that point? Well, one of the things that he did is he would tell my parents, Oh, well this kid's parents are swingers. You don't want to hang around them. And then he would tell them that my dad was a drunk, so you don't want to hang around him. So really, the the boys' parents really didn't have anything to do with each other, so they could put and connect the dots. Um, that was one of the things he did to pro- protect himself, um, which was pretty clever. But yeah, you know, so that's why that's that's why he was able to to molest multiple boys and the parents not figuring it out. Plus, they clearly been doing it a long time too. If to have that wherewithal to be able to do that, he'd obviously been you know doing that for a while. He'd been doing it as long as I think uh, Dick got hard because, I mean, he was only one month. Yeah, he was only one month and two weeks into his 25th birthday. So he had just turned 25 on February 3rd, and he was killed on March 16th. So, I mean, he was, like I said, he was 25. So, yeah, he'd been doing it for a while, but he'd been doing it since he first, I guess, got hard. Man. Um, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm sure you're very well used to talking about this story and as in other people might be triggered at this point by the memories. And I don't want to do anything that would, you know, frustrate you on that. But I I think your, um, candor, it really is, is refreshing because, you know, I'm a father. I have five children who I worry about constantly anytime they leave the house regardless of who the person is because if you look at the um sex crime statistics most times it's you know uh, it's it's not some it's it's almost never some stranger it's it's right. always a family friend or much worse and probably more often a family member 
So what what were some of the things if I uh, that your parents could have picked up on and noticed when this started that could have helped them stop this from happening? I would say the number one thing would have been my personality change. I went from an outgoing uh, kid to Jeff, Jeff would want me to sit by him. Like if, if, if they were having like game night, you know, people would come over and play password or trivia pursuit later. Um, Jeff would want me to sit next to him and, and watch the, whatever TV show he was watching. Um, he made me quit. I was playing football, basketball, baseball, and soccer. I would leave my football games at halftime to go to my soccer games. And he made me quit all those sports and tell everybody that, Oh, I wanted to focus on karate. Um, that would probably be the, the number one thing. Just, you know, with my demeanor, how I went from outgoing to just kind of withdrawn. Um, yeah, well, it, that and the grown think, man was want me to sit next to him all the time. Right. Yeah. You'd think that would be obvious, but I think that, yeah. like you said, he, he groomed your parents, right? He absolutely at some, point, at some point, didn't he kind of like live like in your house or around your house or something like that as well? Well, right before he was, he took me to kidnap me because remember he took me in February 19th, 1984. Um, and he was living in his car, but on like really cold nights, they had a clothesline in our storeroom. And this is maybe like two or three times. It was maybe over a, a couple week period, but right before he kidnapped me, well, I left him some blankets in the storeroom and my mother had a clothesline. So it, it was almost like if clothes were hanging, he could get back there and you would never really notice it. Like thinking like ET, but he, what he would do is he would go in there at night, when it was cold and then he'd get up and then he'd go he'd probably like park his car down the street and like he only did that a few times but uh okay. i think when my mother read the book that's when she found out i don't think i ever told her that <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine like uh, when did your did your dad ever get a chance to read any part of your book before he passed away I don't. I wrote most of it before he passed away, but I didn't start. I didn't hire a book writing company until after he had been gone. So no, he never got a chance to really actually read it. Because as a father, I mean, well, and, and we'll 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 get to it because you know there's a lot of points where I heavily heavily understand your father and his reaction, like deeply. I think most people do. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, go to Twitter. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, go ahead. No, I think I had like two million views of that one tweet that you were talking about, where I said, you know, here's how most people remember my father, and then his. I put this is how I remember, and it's him dying an Easter egg. You know, right. The one, the one I posted today was uh, about like for some reason, I guess because when people I do interviews and I I tell people what, yeah, my initial reaction when Daddy shot Jeff was I was upset at Daddy because one. I'm keeping a secret. I'm not going to middle school letting everybody know I've been sexually abused. Like I, I, I blew that off for a couple of weeks. Well, when Daddy did that, well, of course that came out. So now I got to deal with this. So yeah, I was pissed at Daddy, um, and I actually, you know, Jeff had quote unquote been my friend for the last year. And I hung, spent every day with him, and watching get his head blown off on TV, it was kind of upsetting. Um, yeah. So the one I posted today was like people and some people take that and go oh well him and the son never talked to him or son never talked to him again and i'm like that's not true um my parents were separated at the time they got back together uh, he moved back in about a month later and you know that, that picture i posted was from 2002 where we were in new york city and we went on a circle on tour and my dad was like this is one of the best days of my life and so uh, it, i don't know how that got out there but somehow it did but it's not true me and my dad had a great relationship 
Right. Um, I saw so, some videos that kind of made it seem like you guys didn't. So people probably saw similar videos and took that impression away. Well, that's that, that that's the people that are doing those you know true kind yeah. like hey let me do makeup right. and yeah and, and and they get it wrong. Well, yeah, there was one where this, this woman had a British accent. It's like the mother and Jeff were dating, and I'm like, no, they weren't. I'm like, you know, I understand how people can see that because my parents did split up that summer due to my dad's drinking. And Jeff is probably telling, oh, yeah, that's my new girlfriend to make him look like he's not, a, you know, a creep. Um, but no, they they ne they never dated. And like I said in the book, I can assure you, I can assure you their uh, uh, their relationship was not romantic. Right. OK, so. Um, like I said, as a father, there are things I, um, like I, I said, as I, if Gary, your father had read that, I'm sure he would have gotten just as infuriated as he did when he heard what happened later on. Um, but so how, how does it start? Cause I mean, th th that's part of like being a father, part of it is me recognizing what might happen to my children, how they might change, how I might pick up on these signs. Right. But the other side is how do you have a conversation with your kid about what's going on and how to start speaking up and saying, mom, dad, this is this is a thing that's going on. Right. Um, so one of the things that I that you pointed out, which made total sense, I hadn't thought about grooming in the way that you had mentioned it before I read that. Um, but you had said that one of the things that was um, that's that's hard to hear is a parent saying something like, if this person ever does anything to you, I will kill them. Because you've been groomed, right? You love that person. You don't want to see them die. Just like you said, right. when, when Jeff was, was shot, you were sad initially, right? And so, yes. you know, th these are these little things that like I, um, like after I read your book, I had a conversation with my kids about this. I was like, you know, I'm going to be very, very angry, but I don't want you to think that I'm going to kill anyone that you love. I would, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't advocate that. I don't right. advocate that. You want to, you'd write, you know what? Let's, let's use that as an example, okay? Um, I did an interview uh, uh, probably three or four months ago uh, discussing Cain Velasquez, okay? And he, he tried to shoot the guy who had molested his kid, but he got the wrong guy. He got the stepfather, the person he was trying to shoot. And then he spent like nine months in jail. They wouldn't give him bail because they were worried about him going out and, and killing this guy. And I think right. that Cain learned a, a, a valuable lesson about it's more important to be with your children than it is to exact revenge. So my advice for parents is to be there for your child. If you if you look up the Ellie Nestler story, and if y'all are in the true crime, you know the story. I mean, her son Willie ended up murdering a guy or beating him to death, and, and he's in jail, I think, for the rest of his life. So I went one way daddy being nuts but i also had support with my mother willie didn't have a father and then ellie ended up going to jail and so she killed the guy who had molested her son in a, a california courtroom um so it, i think it's more important and, and since daddy never went to jail daddy was there for me he put himself in a position to be prosecuted and that's why mike Burnett in the video you hear him say oh gary why why gary because he had he knew he had four children and he felt like okay now now Gary's going to the penitentiary to, for the rest of his life and you know why would you do that right and and a lot of people go what do you think you dummy I'm like well Mike's the one that told my parents what had happened to me because I didn't I denied it that he had been sexually abused me I denied it until the rape kit came back positive then I couldn't deny it no more right well so when I'm talking to my kids right and I'm 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 going over 
potential scenarios without being too it's being there's like this fine line of talking to your kids where you're not trying to terrify them of the world and make them want to stay inside forever but you're also trying to warn them about the things that can happen right um right as you're looking at your story how is it um could you and this is such a this is the dark the probably the darkest part um could you talk about the progression of the abuse and how um you would how it was that you never said anything because it, it it really like in in our adult minds we know what's right or wrong who's touching us who's not what whether they should or not um well even that may not be, even be true with the number of um unreported rapes that go go on on the planet um but how how did that how, how did you get how did he get to the point where a rape kit was necessary and what was it that kept you from speaking to your father or mother it's funny that you bring it up because I was watching uh, SVU. Like, you know, what does what does rape victim watch for entertainment? He watches show about rape and murder. Um, so I was watching Law and Order SVU just yesterday. Well, I've been been watching binge watching it, um, but the one I happened to catch yesterday was an episode with. It, you can Google it. Uh, it had Mike Tyson in it. Okay, so Mike Tyson was playing this death row inmate who he killed killed his ex coach or whatever. Well. In the opening scene, there's a, I think a, a gymnastics teacher or, a, a, and he's stretching this this little boy, and yeah. you know you see him, you know put his hands like on a little boy's hamstring, and then you know he's like, oh, it feels tight in here, and he's like kind of pressing on his gluteus maximus, and and so the janitor sees this, and it pisses the janitor off, so he attacks the coach. Well, that's what Jeff would do. Jeff would be like. Looking back, like at, at the time, it's not registering, but looking back, Jeff's like, oh, look, well, you got to be flexible for karate. So here we're going to stretch. And so he would put us on the ground. Excuse me. He would he'd push our legs open to, to do a split or he put us on the weight bench and put cardboard on our feet to make us do a split. And so he's able to put his hands on my hips, his hands on my inner thigh. And that's right there that he's just kind of normalizing like this isn't out of the, the ordinary. So it's right. it's a gradual progression. And then uh, another one is driving. Uh, he let me drive the car and he put me in his lap. Well, that's when what a, a pedophile will do is they'll do a, a subtle boundary test. They'll, you know, he'll put his hands in my lap for two seconds and then he move them away. Or this is why I don't like tickling uncles is, uh, you know, you, you tickle, tickle and cop a feel. And then if the kid responds, like, well, what are you doing, Jeff? Get your hands off my, you know, Oh, Oh, I didn't know. It's they and I act like it's innocent. Like it was an accident. Um, and then they know not to mess with that kid. So it's important right at a young age and i don't want to put the emphasis on a child to prevent the abuse but you you do need to warn them about the touching safety rules that you know uh, you know your private parts covered by your bathing suit um you know but we also when i was at victim services center we we also covered um good touches which would be hugs and kisses bad touches or punches and kicks and we also would cover sometimes why a grown up would need to touch a child's private parts. Um, a, a lot of times we hear checking for ticks, going to the doctor, changing the baby's diaper. Um, so you don't want to freak them out, but you want to warn them and let them know that sometimes there's no good reason for a grown up to touch a child's private parts. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think, too, from an abusive relationship standpoint and people who are con artists and psychopaths, they, when people accuse them or ask questions suggesting that they're doing something wrong, they know that people, most people don't think like they do and they don't want to wrongly accuse somebody. So they will act really offended and then they will accuse the other person of doing something wrong for accusing them and guilt trip that person into silence, I think. And just in other, like, uh, you know, psychopath manipulation situations. Oh, De Jeff was definitely good at guilt trips. I can assure you that. I mean, if well, when my parents were separated, if I went and rode to the store with my dad, I had to hear about it. Oh, you love him more than me? Is that what it is? Blah, blah. You know, uh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was just a, a true, true, true sociopath. Yeah. Well, and, and when, when I when I was reading your book and looking at the, the the progression and all of this, like I was taken aback by uh, because it went like the way you talked about it. It went from the karate class to the to the car um, to literal, um, you know, sex acts, movie, then, movie theater bathrooms. Yeah, the other room yeah. of the karate class as other kids were doing karate. And like it was it, it was wild to me because um there was one line in your your book after he had, you know, groomed you orally and kind of gotten to the place where he knew that you weren't going to tell anyone that he just whispered in your ear that he was going to have sex with you like i it's so uncomfortable the words are so uncomfortable i can't even say yeah he didn't quite put it that way he, yeah. he didn't quite put it that way <laughs> but the, the listener can imagine what he told me he was going to do right <laughs> um, well and this is another thing i'd like to stress okay I, I made the point in the book all right my mother used to make us watch after school specials and you know uh made for tv movies and there was one called fallen angels so and it was about child porn and she warned us that there were people out there like that so i i went in when jeff first put his hands on my dick i'm like oh shit he's one of those people so i immediately went there whereas if another kid hasn't been talked to or taught or anything like that they wouldn't know it's wrong so i knew it was wrong so i think that that also played a big part in me being able right. to work through it well, it wasn't there um, – one of the things that – I think I read it in your book because I've read other things as well since since then. But you know, they will use the shame of the sex act against you. So they'll – because for one, uh, one of the points that you made that I think is super important for people to realize is that your biology doesn't follow along, follow along with your psychology. And so like, even though it is something that is traumatizing to you, something that hurts you, something that, you know, in that psychological way, your body doesn't know what's going on and it feels good in that it triggers that shame response, which then Jeff could use against you because you didn't want to get in trouble for doing this thing, right? That was my favorite part of the book, to be honest with you. It's probably the most disturbing part too, but I have never, and trust me, I've read a bunch of books on sexual abuse. Um, I've never read a book that explains that's why people carry around this guilt. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, let's say you take an eight year old girl, stepdad rapes her from eight to 13. Well, from eight and a half to 13, her body is going to respond with physical pleasure. And she's not going to know they don't know why so i want i wanted the reader to know if they had been a past victim of abuse to know that your body is going to respond like a human body responds and it's not your fault that you had physical pleasure because that's how bodies work 
Right. Well, and that, that, that's what was so crazy to me is because I knew it, right? Like I, 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 like cognitively, I knew that this would have been the case, but I can't square the circle with the very clear abuse that's going on. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like clearly this is bad, but in my brain, that badness is like, oh, well, obviously this isn't going to feel good, right? But, you know, if, if, if someone touches your genitals, it's going to feel good. And that's yeah. like, it, there was a, a guy, a, a comedian that I saw not too long ago. Uh, one of the, um, uh, the guy named Matt Reif, one of his audience members yelled out that uh, her boyfriend uh, won a blowjob story off because uh, he said that him and his friends would ju would just all do it with each other uh, beca because one they you know they wanted to see what it was like and two it, they kept doing it because it felt good and these these are this is a man who would not consider himself gay whatsoever right that would not be a part of his identity but it felt good despite him not being of that persuasion right and so it sounds when I like was Jim that do what it sounds like Jim Norton's monster reign. If you're not familiar with Jim Norton, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's, he's the one, he's the comedian in the book where I went and saw in New York City and my friend yeah. yelled out. We can tell that story later, but go ahead, finish. Oh, no, I was just saying it reminds me of that because, you know, there's these these mental blocks people have where like, you know, this thing won't feel good because I am not that way or because this is a bad thing, right? But your body has no idea. And that, that was such a fascinating thing that you brought out that I was that was so obvious, but I never would have thought about it. And so I really appreciated that about your book was you made me think about things that I never would have, even though it should have made sense and I should have picked up on it without even having to read that, if that makes sense. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because that was the whole point of the book. My whole point is I wanted um, survivors of sexual abuse to kind of relate and and hopefully give them hope i wanted parents to be educated to know what to look for and i wanted those with the just a lack of understanding to get that understanding to understand okay this is the dynamic this is what's going on so I, i'm glad you said that because i that, i had to put that in my book oh yeah can I ask um, you a question yeah uh, is it, it it seems like it's uh you're also you're going to be in trouble if you say anything. You, bad things are going to happen to you if you say anything. Well, if, if when a kid is in a situation like this, and, and I, I mean, I I can't imagine how difficult that must be. Just you know, you're you're that young, and your brain is, is still developing, your body's developing. What advice or, or just anything would you tell a kid who might feel like they can't say anything if they're in a, a situation like that? Well, when I worked at Big Victim Services Center, we would tell the safety rules where you tell the kid to you say no, you go and you tell. You tell a grown up that you know and trust. Um, what I would say now is parents don't let your kids get in a situation to where they have to keep that secret. You know, I mean, I'm not for one for being lock your kids up and don't let them live, live a life. But, you know, my kids ain't spending a night in nobody's house. If I, ha I don't have kids, but th they would never spend a night at someone's house. The coach would never bring them home from practice. If I can't be there with them, then they're not going to be there. Right. So I, I challenge well, yeah. parents to don't take the easy way out and let the, the coach bring them home. You go get your kid. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's one of those things that I've, I've had to think about because, you know, we, uh, 
I grew up in the 90s, so mostly after your story, during the satanic panic, during all the rumors. Like, I remember one of the big rumors when I was a kid was that if you went into McDonald's, there were gang members who would cut off your penis if you went into the bathroom. And I remember going, of course that makes sense. That'll happen. Like, probably not. But, you know, like, I grew up in that realm. And so, you know, as I grew up, I also found out that it's usually family, friends, stuff like that. Um, and right. so I have a an extremely healthy dose of not going to let my kids sleep at other people's houses. And, you know, I, I had a I, my life was fine in that way. Right. Like I, I went to friends houses. Nothing was wrong. I'm sure it would be great in certain instances. But, you know, reading your story, reading these different things, it makes me as a father go. I, should I do this? Should I let these people? I don't want to. Do you think that it's a like how much work does a parent have to do before they allow their kid to stay at their best friend's house overnight? In your opinion? Yeah, I hate I hate to say, uh, you know, don't ever let them do it or maybe middle school. Um, but I mean, middle school, I was in middle school when it was going on. Um, but I mean, I, I spent the night with my grandparents. Luckily, they weren't you know, molesters. I spent the night with my teammates, like my soccer teammate. I, would, I just texted one the other day because I went walking through the neighborhood back in his old neighborhood, and I was just trying to pick out which house was his because I, I was either this one or that one. So I just texted him, "Hey, what's your address?" Because I mean, we spent the night over there. This one particular night, my brother got homesick, and you know, they had to call my parents at midnight to come get my older brother. Um, but I mean, I had a lot, a lot of great memories of spending the night with my cousin. So I hate to say, don't allow that to happen. But man, you just gotta you gotta prep them. You 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 if you if you want to allow them to do that, you you gotta talk to them and you gotta start at a young age. Um, I, I did mention the book. It's called a uh, Committee for Children. I think it was a uh, oh, something about I was I, I, I'm drawing a blank now. But it talks about age appropriateness. You know, at five years old, you want your child to have this knowledge. At six year old, you want your child to have that knowledge. I mean, you don't need them to have the, the, the password to xnxx.com at eight years old, but right. or Pornhub at eight years old, but you want them to have a basic knowledge. You don't want them to be, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of Santa Claus, okay? Because right. parents think it's so cute to have their kids believe in Santa Claus, and then they're going to end up believing Santa Claus until they're 11, and they're going to get made fun of. And I, I'll tell you a story about my niece. This is great. So, my mom, my sister, was talking to my niece and she was probably 13 years old and my niece found out about Santa Claus and she cried for an hour that there was no such thing as Santa Claus. And it took my sister another hour to get her calmed down. Right. Well, after my sister finally got my niece calmed down, my mama, my sister was walking out the room and my niece goes, Mama, that means there's no such thing as an Easter bunny or the tooth fairy. Like it all just came crashing down at once, you know? So no, you gotta be, I learned about Santa Claus when I was five and you know, I mean, I turned out great. Um, but yeah, you want to keep your kids innocent, but you, you gotta, you gotta arm them with something. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what's so I think that okay, one of the things I was going to say real quick is I have decided that uh, this episode, I, I want to just keep the whole thing free. So I'm not going to do a special after show. We're just going to do one whole thing. And I just created as I was talking to you because I'm very talented. The outro 
so that we can I can make that happen. Um, but I do feel like this is a a story that people need to hear. And I and we've it, we're at forty three minutes and we've not really talked about your dad all of that much yet. And that's what people want. I mean, they they want they're. I don't know if you saw they're thanking you for telling your story and sharing that trauma in the chat right now, but they definitely want to hear about your dad as well. So I'm going to just make this one of those episodes that's everywhere, exactly the same. Um, but let's, let's talk about it because um, like I told you before the show, you know, most people see this uh, clip of your dad shooting Jeff. Also, you mentioned the number, I want to say 38 several times. And so I want to make sure we don't, oh, yeah. that. you said you were going to mention it and I don't want you to forget. Um, but you know, let's, let's talk about like when they see that, that short clip of just the shot. Um, I don't think they, they see the whole picture of what happened afterwards. They don't necessarily see, think about what happened to your dad, how that could have affected you, stuff like that. Um, so let's, if you're, if you're want to go into your dad, let's talk about your dad. Could you give us a little, uh, it can be as glowing as you want it to be about your dad before and during and after the incident and, uh, we'll talk about the rape kit and stuff like that as well, if you'd like to do that now. All right. I guess the best way I could describe my dad is I'm trying to think of uh, think of a lot of the characters Will Smith. I mean, uh, Will uh, Ferrell has played like, I mean, he's, he's not quite Frank the Tank, but I mean, my dad was like the life of the party. I mean, he was the one telling jokes. He was the one that would do the cooking. He was the one he was a host. He was an entertainer. Um, I did. I did point out in the book whenever he would do that. My mother was also the the, the wait, waitress in the cleaning crew, but I mean, so my dad he had the perfect marriage. He had his wife staying at home. He's going out making money. Um, he was a heavy equipment salesman, so his job would be to take people out to lunch. That was that was literally his job, and buy them drinks. And so um, I guess it's you're in a dilemma when your wife says, "Hey, you need to quit drinking," and that's your job basically is to go entertain clients and take them out drinking. Um, I, di I didn't drink through college and every time I would meet my dad at a bar, he'd go, you want a beer? I mean, that was just my dad. Um, yeah. if, if you could some somehow make your way to my sister's Facebook page, she posted a tribute and just read the things that people who knew him, who met him, um, say about him. He was a jokester. Um, and my, my brother said in the newspaper when he died, he was like, one of the things my dad used to always say, he didn't like getting pranked on. He would prank, but he didn't like getting pranked on, but he'd always say, Hey, I'm a ploche. We don't get even we get ahead. And I think that that's such a great saying when you look at that video thing. I mean, my dad was the kindest person and he let us have any pet we wanted. We had a pet raccoon, a ferret. We had, I mean, birds, we had cats, we had dogs. I mean, I would never allow that, you know, a big German shepherd living in a house, taking big dumps all over the house. I wouldn't allow that, but he, he didn't care. My dad didn't really give a shit about, I mean, about just trivial stuff. He was just laid back. Cool. As, I mean, I'm telling you, most of my friends love my dad. I mean, you want to come over and watch the Highlander on Sunday night after we watched, uh, uh, oh, uh, Star Trek, uh, the new generation, come on over. I mean, Sunday yeah, night at my house, definitely. we had, yeah, we, we had, you know, my, my, be my best friend, my brother's best friend, John, my little brother was here. We'd have, uh, our friend Jimmy coming over. We had our friend Elise coming over. And I mean, that, that was just my dad. He didn't give a shit who we brought over. And so, because he was an entertainer, I mean, really one of the nicest, sweetest guys you'll ever meet, but he didn't get even, he got ahead. And I saw a quote on Twitter, someone said, or maybe it was a message board or something, but someone says, you know, if, if Jeff Doucette never sexually abuses Gary Ploche's kid, 
then Gary Ploche doesn't probably ever commit a crime. And someone responded to that and said, and this is, if I was to write another book, this might be the title of it. That person said, Gary Ploche was not Gary Ploche until he had to be Gary Ploche. And I was like, wow, that, that's, that's so true. Because my dad would have never harmed anybody. And I did a show one time. I said, that's the worst thing about it is, you know, they made this kind. I mean, my dad literally gave Jeff the shirt off his back and brought him to his parents' house for Sunday dinner. My dad is the one who introduced him to the guy he ended up stealing money from. And then all that, he's screwing his kid. So, I mean, Jeff drove my dad crazy. And so what you see is you see uh, probably a, a lot of frustration, a lot of betrayal. When you yeah. see daddy shoot Jeff, that's a betrayal shooting. Yeah. Okay, so... Did I freeze up? No, you're good. You, you, a little bit. We heard everything you said, though. Um, but, yeah, so it, that's... That, so as we get to this point, you know, you're uh, Jeff, uh, who loved the number 38, um, had... No, he didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't love the number 38. 38 was his unlucky number. That's okay. why I do. That's why why doing this anniversary show on the 39th anniversary is special because it follows the 38th anniversary uh, anniversary, and that was special because, like I said, 38 was Jeff's unlucky number. When we checked into our hotel motel room, it was a Samoa motel in Anaheim, California, 425 West Catella Street, right there at Harbor, a block from Disneyland. It's now the America's Best Value. Um, and so we checked into room 38. That was our room. That's the room Jeff was arrested in, room 38. Well, when he was brought back to Baton Rouge from Los Angeles, my dad, at the age of 38, shot him with a 38. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. So that's a pretty unlucky number. <laughs> well, it's so, it's so funny, though. Um, it's not funny, but it's, it's actually just uh, coincidence. But, you know, I'm sitting here with – my 38 special bullets just sitting on the desk. <laughs> um, but that's just, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping gun. <laughs> I, I told my sister, I was like next year for the 40th anniversary, I should, I should talk to Smith and Wesson and see if they'll come up with a 40, a, a stub nose 38 <laughs> Smith and Wesson Gary Ploche edition. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, the way you talk about your dad and you, you, you know, you go into more detail in your book about the, you know, the troubles with your mom, the drinking, things like that. But there's no, there's not really a second where um, it seems at all like you don't like your father when you're writing this book. Like there's, there's never really a, a moment where like, as you're writing it, I believe that you don't respect him and love him. Right. Um, which is very cool because, you know, there's, I, I, I look at that and of course, you know, you know, God is good. We'll never have to be in the situation you were your dad were in, right? Um, but um, it's good to know that regardless of what we do, you know, as long as we're there, as long as we're willing to change, as long as we're willing to meet our kids where they are, like our kids are going to love us as long as we're just not outright horrible, abusive buttholes, you know? <laughs> it was right, yeah, my dad... My dad wasn't abusive towards my mother. He never right. raised his voice. I mean, they would they would have their arguments here and there because she was tired of him drinking. But I mean, other than that, she was she was really the only one that had a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, 
I remember you said in the book that he got the money for the um, bandanas and immediately bought a, a van instead of making the bandanas. And so he had he, people he was going to be in trouble. And he took he when did he tell you that he was going to take you when he left? Because that was something you knew was going to happen. Okay, I knew. Yeah, I knew it was a possibility. All right, so he had told me probably about a month. Well, I, I'm guessing when he got served his court date. I think his court date was going to be March 15th, and so he had, he was going to have to come up with the money. So he told me, oh, he was going to talk to this person. He was going to talk to that person, and if he couldn't come up with the money, he was going to go to California and he was going to take me with him. So he threw that out there, and so I really didn't want to go. And so that's the closest I ever came. To say it, okay, let me let me tell everybody what's going on because I don't want Jeff to kidnap me. And so his brother dropped him off at the house um, this particular morning. It was a Sunday morning, and he asked my mother, Can I borrow your car? I gotta go check on some carpet. Another one of the karate students' parents was building a house, and Jeff's brother owned a carpet co uh, company and was supposed to go install the carpet. So that's what Jeff was gonna go check on. But when we got in the car, my mother's car, he we went to his brother's Mike's house picked up some stuff, went to, I don't know if we went to his other brother's house, but we went from Mike's house to his mom's house in Port Arthur, Texas. And so his mom called, Jeff's mom called my mother and said, look, Jeff and Jody are here. Jeff had to come up here. He'll be back in the morning. And so my, my mother was like, all right, he better be back here first thing in the morning. Well, I wasn't. We went from there to Vinton, Louisiana. That's where Jeff's actually buried. And that's where his uncle and aunt lived. And I think we went there to get money for the bus tickets to go to California. And uh, I don't know whether he got the money for it, but we ended up getting the tickets to California. And so we got the tickets that third that Tuesday morning. And that Tuesday morning, my mother had already called the cops and they were in on their way. They missed us by about an hour and our bus pulled out. Wow. Like it's, it's, it's so hard to wrap. I'm going to, here's a question and it's a hard one for me to ask, but I, I kind of feel like this is part of the grooming and I, I feel like it's something that I, I kind of elucidates kind of what a kid in that situation might be feeling. Um, but such a weird question to ask. Um, did you love Jeff during this time? Like, in okay, but uh, you know how I mentioned I was upset at my father for shooting Jeff. Yeah, yeah I felt like yeah. Jeff. I, I felt like I loved Jeff. I mean, I felt like he was my best friend. You know, like you would love a best friend, or even even a little stronger than that. You know, I mean, I don't want to say um, that it was like you know two honeymooners, but right. you know, I I did care for Jeff. I didn't want Jeff Hark. I didn't want right. Jeff. I, now. Now, I wouldn't mind it if he went to jail for the rest of his life because, I mean, aggravated kidnapping in Louisiana is, uh, you know, life in prison, no probation, no parole. So I would have liked that for Jeff. But that's a I'm away from Jeff. I've I've come clean about what he did to me person. But before before that rape kit came out, um, you know, I felt like Jeff was my friend. Okay, because yeah, it, it, it is one of those things, like I said, because it happens with uncles, aunts grandmothers grandfathers parents and so it, it is a very weird place for a child to be when they you know love someone and they're doing something that they may or may not know is wrong evil among the most evil acts a person can possibly do and so it's 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 interesting to hear your mindset then and i i do want to talk about we'll do this a little later um i do want to talk about you know kind of the 
healing process and where you are and how how that changed over time. Um, but you, he took you to, um, which you are frozen. But I, I, can, I can hear you. I can hear you. I hit the wrong button. I hit a button. I would try to see if some people were saying something in the chat, and I, I, it's, I'm gonna come back to you. Hold on. Okay, no worries. <laughs> uh, I think I'm just trying not to. <laughs> feel free to refresh it. I can I can banter with with Brad for a second. Yeah, yeah. Go go do that. I'm gonna log back out and log back in. Uh, Brad, wh what are your thoughts right now? Where are you? Well, I, I think it's uh, you know, it's 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 a a tragic story, and it's it seems like Jody ha has uh emerged from from the story and to to lead uh, a a good life which i don't know that that always happens yeah. and you alluded to um ask him asking him about the recovery process i i'm interested in that a, a lot of this when it comes to the 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 predator here it just it, it makes me think of jimmy uh, Savile or Seville, yeah. whichever one it is, because there's all these old videos of him when he was hosting these television shows that were like talent contests and, and other stuff that had girls between like the ages of 12 and 16 on, on it. And, and he's clearly groping them in inappropriate ways. So he must have been grooming them and, and how he set up all these these organizations that were nonprofits to donate to hospitals so he could get, could get close to victims and stuff like that. So it just, the, the patterns of these predators is one of the things that really stands out to me. Well, and one of the things uh, before we get back to that is, um, you know, for most people, they cannot understand the desire to touch a kid in that way. And so when they hear about a Jimmy Savile or a Jeffrey Epstein or any of these uh, situations, they, most of them can't even wrap their mind around someone doing that. Right. And so, I mean, that, that creates another barrier. I think that's how they get away with it. And a lot, it's one of the elements that enables them to get away with it. Cause we think like ourselves and we would never do that. We don't think like them and they know that. So, so they can end up manipulating situations. Um, so where was I? So you went to, to California um, and y'all are running away. Uh, so how does it happen that Jeff gets caught, that you guys, you make your way home, and then he makes his way home? All right, so what I believe, I believe Jeff realized once he had me and was in California, and I think he had $6 in his pocket whenever he was arrested. I think he realized that, okay, you know what, this was probably a bad idea. Um, so he allowed me to call my mother collect, and – for those who might not remember or too young, uh, collect phone calls when we used to have – we used to have these, these things called landlines. And <laughs> you could call the operator and you could go, hey, I want to make a distance phone call, but I don't want to pay for it. I want the person I'm calling to pay for it. So I called collect. My mother accepted. She asked the operator for time and charges. Again, for those who aren't familiar with collect calls, when – the phone call did the operator came back to my mother and gave her the time that phone call lasted 50 minutes and the charge is like 44 excuse me right. so when the operator came back to give my mother time in charges mike burnett with the sheriff's department here in baton rouge got on the phone and said look this is a federal investigation we got the fbi in on this it's a kidnapping i need to know exactly where that call came from and so that's how they were able to track jeff down so I think he allowed himself to get caught. 
Okay. Well, when they came, they came busted in a hotel room, motel room. They took me out. That's the last time I ever saw Jeff. And they brought me to the police station and they interrogated me for probably two, three hours. And I told mostly the truth. Um, there were a few lies that I told that Jeff had told me to say, um, and, but everything else that like, where'd you sleep? I slept in a bed with Jeff. What did you wear? I wore my underwear. What did he wear? He wore his underwear. Did he ever touch you? No. Um, so that's, I kept lying about that. So then they took me from the police station. Then they took me to the hospital to get the rape kit. And that probably was another couple hours. And then they took me to a, uh, neglected child home or whatever. And it was the night it was the morning after Michael Jackson won all those Grammy awards. And so I remember laying in bed cause I didn't get to bed till like five o'clock in the morning and the kids were getting up to go eat breakfast and go to school cause they would have class there. And they allowed me to sleep in since I'd gotten there so late, but the counselors wouldn't shut up. And they, all they were talking about was Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. Oh, he lit, he did his glasses and the girls on the balcony. And it just was annoying the shit out of me. So finally I got up and went and, uh, ate breakfast and I started watching Rocky three. Um, I spent the day there and it was a leap year. And, and I, I actually think this is kind of cool. If you look at Jeff's mugshot, um, his mugshot is February 29th, 1984. Cause it was wow. a leap year. Yeah. And so, uh, I was flown home March 1st to, from Los Angeles to new Orleans and Jeff refused extradition extradition. Um, until a couple weeks later so that's when the police officers went out to get jeff um i guess they flew out there march 15th and they flew home march 16th and so that's why me and jeff were two weeks later i mean jeff could have probably came home definitely on a separate flight but jeff could have came home you know three days later if he would would have just waived extradition extradition yeah there's an arrogance there for him to call your mom from uh, Cal- California, where, no, where it was, no, it just where, am I echoing? I'm hearing myself. Uh, it's not bad on my end. Um, he, I, I, that was part of his plan. Like, well, all right. So, if this is ever turned into a documentary or a movie, there's more that I've withheld. Okay, right. that there's more to the story that's that's never been told. Um, but. He was telling my mother to meet her us in New York. He was saying that to throw her off the trail, um, but he didn't have a plan. He was just a dumbass. He was really a dumbass. <laughs> he was he was brilliant at one thing, and it was the worst thing he can be brilliant at, which is grooming <laughs> children. Or, or no, or it's screw, screwing over people. He was very good at that. And Jody, you know what? is our audio coming through your uh, computer? It's through my. It's on a uh, Samsung tablet. It's, okay, okay. I'm, I'm hearing you echoing too, Kim. Okay, it may, it may just be a little. Did your uh, headphones unplug? Mine aren't. I don't believe. Uh, no biggie. We can fix it in post. <laughs> um. So blame me. Blame. I blame. I'm the victim. <laughs> If you go into that uh, settings thing and check the audio, just to make sure it's synced up with the the right uh, thing, sometimes it, it switches it when you log back in. It does it to me all the time. Okay, all right, that, it may have done that. So what do I need to do? There's a little settings uh, gear at the bottom. I see a thing that says more. Uh, more, yeah, um, yeah. Click on more. Maybe it's right like there. The I'm usually the one hosting, so. Yeah, I don't but know. I don't, I don't think it's that bad. Settings. Oh, Here we go. So, there you go. 
And there should be a thing that says audio. Okay, here's audio. Yeah, click on that and just double check. It's got the right audio hooked up. I got echo cancellation. I got automatic adjust mic volume. So you're good to I've go. I've got there. both of those checked. And the so microphone. So it's not me. The, okay, sweet. Well, um, the microphone goes up and down green. Right. And I think diff- we're good. Let's yeah, just let's good. just continue. All right, sweet. <laughs> it's not bad enough to worry about. I don't think. Um. So, um. You so they they come and pick him up. Pick him up. One of the things that I I found interesting because you know I've seen the news report in the past. And uh, there's these pictures of you, and I've always seen you as like a black-haired child. And he had actually dyed your hair, correct, when he took you out there so that you'd be less noticeable? Yes, I had blonde hair. Uh, you know, I was a cotton top is what they used to call me. And because he was dark-complected or, or you know, had dark hair, um, he dyed my hair black just to try to pass me off as his son, um, which was funny because my mother's – hated that black hair the first thing she wanted to do was dye my hair black which she should have just shaved it off right but right. didn't she turn it orange but instead it orange? oh it it looked like any any linux in a walking on broken glass vi- video i mean it, it was terrible um eventually it became like a, a follow the yellow brick road road golden yellow um but in in the chemicals like it it turned my hair off and nasty and it would come out and it just wasn't worth the trouble just shave my head i mean yeah i could have taken it so let's talk about the rape kit because that was something that i'd not thought of really before um so uh you don't have to go into excruciating detail if you don't want to uh but what is it that they're looking for when they do a rape kit all right, so my best way that I've described it is it was a complete physical examination. So it wasn't just uh, the cotton swabs. I mean, they went over every score, and they noticed they put, took note of every score on my body. Um, Richard Pryor had this joke that when you go to the hospital, all they want is blood and piss, and they wanted blood and piss. They took my blood. First time I ever got blood taken, um, I filled up two jugs of piss. Um, and then came the, you know, the anal swab where they took the cotton, I mean, these freaking uh, – they, these Q-tips that, that they weren't a t- typical Q-tip. They were big, long Q-tips and they would go in there and they would do a swab and they did a couple of them. And I remember after she said, um, she sat me down and she's like, I just want you to know that I noticed that you had an enlarged rectum. Um, do you know how that's possible? I mean, that right there was a telltale sign. Um, and I said, I don't know. I take big dumps. I mean, what is a kid supposed to like, you know, how do I justify a big, you know, big butthole? Yeah, big butthole. (laughs) (laughs) So that that's pretty much the rape kit. And then they sent the swabs off to the lab. And so now I know all this. I, um, okay, I'm not going to go there. Um, Just just say his DNA. Okay. Yeah, that was was inside of me. That was the thing that threw me when when you wrote it was what they were looking for, which was his DNA inside of you. Right, his semen. All right, so I I don't want to go there. Uh, so let me just say it's it's there. If, if he let's say finishes, 
All right. Right. And he ain't worried about getting pregnant, so he ain't pulled out. All right. That DNA matter is probably in you for a couple of days. All right. And it comes out gradually every time you go to the bathroom. So. Damn it. We lost him again. time technologically, aren't we? Yeah. Are we hearing echoes right now? I'm not hearing any. Okay. I, I think we got all the way to the point of checking the echo thing, but I don't think we actually checked whether the right audio was connected to the thing but i didn't want to i didn't want to keep going with it but I, I think it might have switched to the wrong one it might have when he re-logged in maybe it'll yeah. be better if yeah he comes hopefully back. Yeah, hope so. yeah. <laughs> um yeah no that's that was the thing and i'll just say it like when he when he read when i read his book it was talking about how um they were looking for sperm in his rectum yeah i've heard some true crime stories where that that's something that uh it's there for a while. It's, it's uh, I guess, well, I don't know if it's like DNA. I mean, it is DNA, but yeah. I don't know if they, well, that's the thing. I don't know. I, I guess they could check it against DNA records or something like that. But, you know, like I didn't think of it as that's what they were looking for when I hear about. Right. Kids. So, um, yeah, that, that it's, it's gross, <laughs> but they so found I, it. So I knew, I knew they were going to find it. So I knew right. it was a matter of time. Just keep my mouth shut. I don't tell on Jeff. Jeff is going to get himself caught. Um, I'm sorry. I've never had. I don't know whether it's my my tablet or whatever, but it just it just dropped me. I think um, it's hopefully it, now. hopefully it connected the uh, or it corrected the. Uh, um, <laughs> it it did actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then that must have that must have been the problem. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that was an interesting part of your book was that you didn't want to tell on Jeff. You wanted Jeff to tell on himself. Um, do you know why that was? Was it fear of him? Like what? What was the what was the reason that you didn't want to tell on him? Right. I tell people all the time. I wasn't lying about what happened to me to protect Jeff. I was doing that to protect me. Okay. okay. So I knew if Jeff, I felt Jeff would con his way out of it. I felt he probably would plead down get sentenced to like a mental institution for a year, get out and then come at me and be like, you told on me, you, you told on me. Well, I wasn't going to be the one to tell on him. But then if he came to me, I can be like, you got yourself caught asshole. These con <laughs> artists, they, they have such similar patterns. It's like they, they, they abuse their victims emotionally, physically, and then they blame them and make them think it's their fault. And it's just they, this reliance, and they don't they don't have a conscious, they don't feel the guilt that everybody else feel, feels, and that helps them get away with, with it. There's this book called The Big Con that talks about kind of the psychology of a lot of these con artists. That, and it just so much of it rings true with what you're saying about this guy. And he's 100% a con artist. So you fly home. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned was that you talked to your mom and you told her uh, everything that happened from what I understand, or as, as much as you were willing to, I guess. Uh, I, I gradually shared over time. At the first time, all I did was confirm, like whenever they got the hospital report back and she's like, yeah, Jeff fooled you. I was like, yeah, he did. I just came clean and, uh, you know, we, we talked and then she was like, all right, go play. So I got on my bike and I rode down to my friend's house and went and played. And and that was one of the best feelings I'd ever had. Yeah. Well, and, and that was one of the most interesting things I think about it was how your parents didn't, your mom at least, didn't make it this thing that defined your life forever. She asked you questions and then went and said, hey, go play. Let you continue to be a kid. 
And I, it, made, it made me wonder how often um, our perception of what goes on um, changes the way children respond to these situations. Are you still there? Looks like you might be frozen. Yep. It's a great question, though. I, I, thank you. <laughs> my wife never compliments my questions. It's a good question. It's it's like how how the parents react to the situation, how it influences how the children react to the situation. Type yeah, thing. because um, and we'll once we get him figured out again, we'll we'll get into that. Um, but that's uh, there we go. All right. I've, I've changed devices. I'm on my phone now. I, I'm, can y'all hear me fine? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm trying I'm trying to connect my Bluetooth, but it's not connected. The, the earpiece isn't connected. So if y'all can hear me fine, I'm just going to hold my phone like this, and hopefully this will go without incident. Yeah, we Can I just say I appreciate your tenacity on this? Like a lot of people would have given up by now. I appreciate you. Um, did, were you able to hear my question before you had to jump off? I I don't think I think it dropped before I heard your question. Okay, could you restate it, Brad? Because I'm too ADHD for this. Well, I, I think it's a, a great question. I think that you are asking what the what's the influence of the the parents, uh, your mom, I believe, and the way that she reacted, how it influences the way that that you handled the situation, in the aftermath. Is that a good s summation, Cam? I think so. Yes, because she let you go play rather than I could. I could even. Life. I can bring you to the page in the book because um, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, my mother, when she told me that, was like really calm. And I was like, what the, you know, like her calmness made me calm. It made me comfort comfortable. So now, meanwhile, I, she tells me go play so she could go slit her wrist because, I mean, she was upset. But she, Mike Barnett, the police officer, told her that's and this is why my book is dedicated to my mother and Mike Barnett. Mike Barnett said, June, you have to remain calm. You can't get upset. If you get upset, it'll upset him. And your reaction, if you react negatively, can be more harmful than the actions of what Jeff did to Jody. So you have to remain calm. He probably knows more about sex than you do. Yeah. And so one of the things that really stuck out to me. And we're going to really get into your dad's part in this now, I think. Um, sorry it's taken so long. I'm just so interested in your entire story. Um, is you told your mom, don't tell daddy. Yep. I told her, do not tell um, daddy. So why why was it that you didn't want your dad to know? And, I mean, obviously a kind of big thing happened. I, I mean, it, that should be fairly obvious. I didn't want my dad to know that I, man had made me perform oral sex on him. That's yeah, probably the the main one. Yeah. But, uh, I'm trying to get this set up to where I can put my phone and not <laughs> bear with. While you're trying to fix that, yeah, I had that's a probably the main. I mean, I'm an eleven. Go ahead. I'm an eleven year old boy. I don't. You know, my dad known that I basically was, you know, I don't want to say gay sex because it wasn't sex. It was rape. But, you know, that a man had had anal sex with me, had been performing oral sex on me. And on three occasions made me perform oral sex on him. Um, one time finishing in my I, said, I left this out, finishing in my mouth, holding my mouth to force me to swallow it. I threw up all over him. Oh, my God. I So... 
yeah, that's a good reason to not tell dad. Um, <laughs> because just that, my reaction, like my kid told me that I, I would not change anything about how I feel about any of my, ch my children, but it definitely like, I'll be honest with you, you know, as I made the little promo video with the music that I did for this episode, um, I watched Jeff get shot a hundred times. Right. And it started to weigh on me because, you know, I, I, I fully understand the drive to do that. I fully understand wanting to have that, I mean, have that revenge. Um, but at the same time, you know, I am a, a human being who doesn't like seeing other human beings die and bleed out on the floor. Like that's, that's hard to watch really regardless of who it is, unless, you know, you're just in a completely different headspace than I've ever been. Um, but uh, so your dad, how did he end up finding out? Did mom tell him? Yes. Yes, she told him. And, well, <laughs> my dad also was questioning my mother. I knew about the, the anal stuff, so I didn't want to. Yeah. And so... Um, but my dad was listening. He kept asking, him, "Did he make you, you know, suck his dick? Did he make you dick?" That's finally spoke, and I think that that kind of is what what pushed Daddy over the edge. And let me just restate that because you were breaking up a little bit, though. Um, is uh, your dad asked, you know, did he m make him suck his dick? Did he suck his dick? And he kept asking those questions because that was at the forefront of his mind. And then, then your mom told him yes right or did she tell him the whole story like what what it is or was it just a yes and that was enough for your dad dang it's Very tough nice. with the technology this is uh you know we don't have the uh production uh, crew that cnn and fox news and all them have so this right. is just uh the plight of, of the podcaster and, and it does happen and, well, and uh yeah, go ahead. It, it, this reminds me uh, uh Colonel Angus in here is uh, talking about how, you know, that's the don't freak out was the same thing. GBI told him stay calm and how he grabbed the pistol off the fridge. It reminds yeah, me, I, I worked at a company one time and there was a guy who worked there um, named John and John found out that his next door neighbor's son was sexually abusing his daughter. And so John, instead of going to the police, walked next door, knocked on the door and said, Hey, um, either I'm going to the police or I get to beat the hell out of your son right now. And the dad was like, he did what? And let him beat the shit out of him. And I remember I was like, yeah, that sounds exactly like that. That's just, he's in Texas too. So that's just Texas. Sounds like some redneck yeah. justice. <laughs> um, you're back. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, so the what were did your mom just say yes to your dad's questions or was it like did he hear the story like how did that what set him off? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, if my mother w w didn't have to answer that question, I mean, when they got the hospital report back positive, um, I think that's what set him off. Like Jeff's fate was determined right then. Um, so, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if my mother just confirmed it or whether I don't even know if I told her those details at that point of whether or not like the one I just shared, we all where you covered my mouth. I don't know if I had told her that by then. 
I may have confirmed that he made me perform oral sex, but I did not. I don't know if I told her that at that point. Right. So what happened? Uh, your mom probably told you this, but what happened at that point? Because there's a 38 special. Was that one that your dad carried? Um, Colonel Ingus here asks, uh, is the gun still in evidence? Has it been returned, sold at auction in the Smithsonian? Uh, how did that go? <laughs> I, I, I was told the judge had it. Um, okay. And so it's probably at one of the judge's kids because the judge died too. It's probably at the judge's house. And every you know time someone new comes over, they're probably like, have you seen this video? This is the gun used in it. Um, so no, it was never returned back to us. Um, Justice for Jody. You should you deserve that gun. <laughs> if you want it. Yeah. Well, that, no, that that's illegal too it. for the judge to take that. <laughs> How much would Sotheby's, Sotheby's get for that gun? I'm saying, well, I mean, it's like what? What's his that that guy, uh, the the one who shot? Oh, George. Yeah, yeah, he sold it at his gun at auction, and he just yeah. killed a kid. I can't imagine what Gary's gun would would do. I imagine there's some rich person that would love to have that gun, so I would definitely be on eBay immediately. You're talking about Trayvon Martin, is that you're talking yes. about? Yes, yeah, George. George what's something. I can't remember his last name either. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say Lopez, but I know it's not George Lopez. <laughs> same, same. I hug. keep thinking Santos, another con artist in the news right now, the politician. Uh, anybody, so in, anybody in the chat, let us know. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> um. So, was that your dad's gun? Like Carrie Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Yes. Yeah. George there Zimmerman. we go. Um. Actually, that gun, if I'm not mistaken, lived at the top of the closet. So we knew that there was a gun at the top of the closet. If we ever needed it, the gun was at the top of the closet. So the day before the day before the shooting, LSU played Dayton in the NCAA tournament. Right. So today's the opening day of the NCAA tournament, right? So or the first the first round of the NCAA tournament. And so my dad came over to watch the LSU basketball game with me. Plus, when we were in L.A., we, me and Jeff saw him film an, uh, uh, a segment of Hill Street Blues. So that Hill Street Blues, so it was a Thursday, that Hill Street Blues came on that the, the 15th. So we watched the Hill Street Blues in the basketball game. And then when my dad went to leave, my mother stayed out there talking to him for about an hour. And I was mad at my mother because I was like, were you telling daddy? Because I told her not to tell. And I thought she was out there telling daddy everything that I told her. Come to find out. She was trying to get the gun back from him. He had gone in the room, gotten the gun, and put it in his car. So it didn't. So it wasn't something he carried with him at all time. But I think gotcha. that night that we watched the basketball game, he went and got that gun. Um, and so what's interesting about the situation is how he found out Jeff was going to be at the airport when he was going to be there. Can you tell us about that? Because it's almost like serendipitous. I'm I'm pretty sure it was that Friday the next day, and he was having lunch at a restaurant about a quarter of a mile to a half mile up the road from WBRZ channel two here in Baton Rouge. Well, my dad, when he was younger, worked at that news station. He was a cameraman and he bowled with them. He was on their bowling team because all the people that still worked there were his friends. I mean, daddy called the news station. Um, when we were like eight years old, we were playing like all girls t softball team. He called the news station and they came out and did a local story about the, the boys versus the girls. When Jeff, when we got back from uh, Fort Worth and we had won a bunch of trophies to promote the, the Tiger Rag, 
Daddy called Channel 2 and they came out and did a story on Jeff and the Karate Studio and how we're trying to make money. And so Daddy was just fucking contact for everything because Daddy knew everybody. And so Daddy was having lunch that Friday and the news director, his name was Bob Shadell. I think he was a program director. He said, hey, Gary, when are they bringing your boy back? And my dad says, I think he's back already. And he said, no, he ain't back yet. And my dad goes, well, they ain't going to tell me. And he goes, I'll find out for you. And he went He went to the payphone uh, for those people uh, who are too young. to. You said, like, <laughs> have to put, like, it, at the time, it probably was a dime, but then it became a quarter. You'd have to put a quarter in a phone to make a local call. So he called the news station and said, hey, what time are they bringing Doucette in? And he said, oh, he'll be back at 9.08, I think, was when the flight was scheduled to return. So he was like, no, Gary, he'll be in at 9.08. Now, did Bob Shadell think Daddy was going to go shoot Jeff? No. Did Bob Shadell think Daddy might go to the airport and uh, create a, a, a ruckus? 100%. There's no doubt in my mind he was trying to create a new story. Well, guess what? He got one. Yeah. So um, from from my memory of reading your book, uh, it was pretty easy for your dad to find where Jeff was going to be walked past because there were cameras lined up across the way from a payphone bank which is like every time we've mentioned payphones and you've talked about it you talked about calling collect do you remember that that commercial uh i, I don't remember if it was call att or what or which which collect service it was but there was one episode where uh the guy was like uh she was like what's the name for the call and he goes bob uh, and she goes, what's the last name? And he goes, uh, we ought to baby eats a boy so that they would say, Oh yeah. Yeah. So he did. So, yeah. So they and would so the say no, but yeah. Guy picks up the phone and it's like, you got a call from Bob. We ought to baby eats a boy. And he puts the phone back down, not, not getting the collect call. And his mom goes, who was that? Or the, the wife goes, who was that? And he, she, he goes, Oh, it's Bob. He had a baby. It's a boy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, that's how he knew. And uh, I've seen the video a number of times. Your dad is in a polo, uh, a white baseball cap, a pair of sunglasses, and he's talking on the phone. Uh, who was he talking on the phone to before Jeff walked up? And like, because I know that that was a part of it. He was talking to his best friend, Jim Adams. And did he, did Jim know what he was going to do? Was he telling him what he was about? He was to telling do him, was no, he was telling him and Jim called the sheriff's department and said, look, I need to get in touch with Mike Burnett. My friends is at the airport. He's got a gun. He's about to shoot this prisoner. They're transferring back. And so then the cops like, all right, what's your number? I'll call you back. Well, you know, daddy got back in touch with stinky and that was his nickname. And, uh, so Stinky was on the phone and daddy was like, Oh, I see Mike Barnett. I don't know. They took him out another way because Mike Barnett came out, but Jeff wasn't with him. But Mike Barnett was out just kind of casing the, the, the grounds to make sure that it was safe. Well, the camera starts, you see Mike Barnett telling them, come on, y'all, y'all are good. Then Bud Connor and Jeff do walk around the corner. And if you look, you can see Mike Barnett, you can see him looking back behind the camera. I mean, you can see his eyes focused because a crowd, a group, a group of people, like 30 people had gathered behind the camera like, oh, who's going to be coming by? Is it going to be a celebrity? And Mike Barnett told me, he goes, he told me this night about a year ago. He was like, yeah, he goes, I'm coming around that corner. I see that camera and all these people are gathered. He's like, these two are these people are expecting some type of celebrity. And he goes, 
all they're going to get is two drunks and a pedophile. And he said, right when that thought crossed through his mind is when the gun went off. And so you can see Bud talking to Jeff saying, look, if anyone's here, you know, hit the ground, I'll cover you. And, and they're talking to each other. And I mean, right then, bam. I mean, Jeff never saw it coming. And if you look co closely, that bank of payphones, that wall was indented about three to four feet. Okay. So, so daddy was kind of like in a little cove where Jeff and Bud would have never been able to see him because he was inside the wall. Um, Mike wasn't focused about him because he was worried about the, the crowd behind everybody. Well, daddy, since he used to be a cameraman at channel two, he kept his head in the phone booth. He could see Jeff and Bud walking this way through his sunglasses. He could see him out of the corner of his eye. And he, this is what he told me. He could see him coming out of the corner of the eye. And then with the camera, with the lights on the camera was parallel with him. That's when he knew they were there. And that's why it's a, a 360 no scope where he just turns and, you know, shoots him and hangs the phone up. And then the what guy shot, by the way, the, it, it, I mean, my dad was a really good shot. Um, yeah. but then the officer that stinky had called, called stinky back and said, Oh, I can't get in touch with Mike Burnett. And stinky told the officer, he said, it's too late. I, I heard the shot. I was on the phone and I heard the shot. So stinky had a unique perspective because he actually could hear it. And then he got to watch it later. Well, it's crazy. Like I said, you have the full un unedited video on your website, which is not what played on the news. And um, did you ever see And you know what it makes me think of? Because, you know, I grew up uh, at the, t you know, at the time when um, Faces of Death was going around. Um, but uh, did you ever see the video of Bud, uh, our Bud Dwyer killing himself? I did. It did. Uh, if you go and watch Bowling for Columbine, I think Daddy and Bud are like in a, a, a montage together. Yeah, that's what that video, when I've, I finally watched it all the way through, made me think of. Because it was just the blood coming out of his ears. I mean, it was a very graphic moment. Um, but, yeah, so, and it, it, like I said, he's a, it was a good shot. Because, there, like you said, there were 30 people behind the, the camera, right? Like, this could have very easily been, if he wasn't a good shot another person hitting the ground you know like very dangerous but he nailed it well the first time me and my dad well the time the time in 1991 the first time we did a talk show was the Geraldo Rivera talk show and at this point my dad had never gotten any opposition to what he did and the first question from the audience members one of this old man stood up and he said how do you trust yourself to go into a public building and start firing away and my dad looked at that guy and he said, when I looked down the barrel of that gun, I knew exactly who I was hitting. And my dad was staring at that guy, like giving him like, like who the fuck are you to talk to me this way? And so next thing you know, we go to commercial break. I look over at daddy. He's still staring at the fucking guy. I said, daddy, stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we've gotten to the, you know, the crescendo of the story. Um, you did you when the news of report played? Did you watch it? No. Or okay. So so how did how did that go? How did you find out? All right. So my grandparents had came and picked us up that Friday afternoon and taken us out to our camp at a place called False River. It's an Oxbow Lake off the Mississippi River in a near a town called New Roads. And so they took us to the camp 
And I was out there and I, got, I was really tired for whatever reason. I guess the last you know two weeks had caught up to me. And I usually would, would have watched the news. I used to watch the news and then my mother would watch MASH. That's kind of how it went back in the day. And uh, I fell asleep early. Woke up the next morning. My grandparents were like, y'all get y'all things, get y'all things. We're going back to Baton Rouge. And I'm like, why? So we're like, well, where's daddy? Because daddy didn't show up. Daddy wouldn't normally have been there. And we're like, where's daddy? And they wouldn't answer us. They would not answer us our question. Well, in my mind, my grandparents are just, they're in a dark place. You can tell something was, something was wrong. I knew something bad had happened. Well, I thought maybe daddy had gotten a DWI and, and gotten killed or something. For, I mean, because, I mean, back then, drinking and driving was a, a pastime here in Louisiana. And so I thought may, maybe that's what happened. And so then we were at my grandparents' house, and my mother came up in a police car with my uncle, the one that I suspect didn't do a background check, came up to my grandparents' house, sat us on the steps, and said, last night, Jeff came home flew in from Baton Rouge and when he did daddy was there when Jeff got off the plane and daddy shot Jeff and I think my sister said my daddy's going to jail someone said good I think my old brother said good because he didn't like Jeff um, and that's when I was upset with, with what daddy had done I started crying because of Jeff and at the time he wasn't pronounced dead but I mean it was pretty you saw the video saw it was video. he was dead before he hit the ground um, but, but they kept him on life support and they harvested his organs. So, um, that's how I found out. My mother sat us down and told us. And so here, here's the question that I've, one of the questions I've been wanting to ask you and, you know, you can give two answers. You can give now at that moment, later on, whatever, two or three answers, whatever. But, um, was daddy a hero? Let's go to Twitter or go to TikTok. There's a lot of people. You can go read the comments on on YouTube videos, but there, he is a hero to a lot of people. I'll just say that. Is he a hero? But but I mean, to you personally, do you do you see him and what he did as heroic? I don't want to say heroic because I know my father, and I know he was out of his freaking mind. Like he was not thinking yeah. clearly. Um, I can respect his. You know, I can respect his follow through. Is that, I mean, a lot of parents go, Oh, if someone would touch my kid, I would kill him. No, no, you wouldn't. You know, I've been waiting for Ron Goldman's dad to kill OJ for what, 30 years now. But right. daddy did what everybody says they would do, and he did it and got away with it. Yeah. So that right there, um, I think my father, like people go, um, so I guess maybe I guess I can call it heroic because people are like, Oh, they should have a statue outside of the Baton Rouge airport for daddy. And you know what? Daddy means a lot to a lot of people, so I I wouldn't have a problem if they want to put a statue in the Baton Rouge airport of Daddy. Also, a know. deterrent for for predators. <laughs> I got a story I can't share, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I was going to to show you is there, uh, or I'm going to mention a there was I think it was in Alaska. There was a guy who uh, would take out a, like child rapists with a hammer and you know i i am very much into um i have i ride a motorcycle i love the world that's not actually doing evil things <clears throat> but one of the things that the um hell's angels carry with them on their bikes because it's not a weapon and it's a tool of the trade is a ball peen hammer 
and that's their primary weapon that they will use that they can carry around and not get in trouble for having or taken away, right? That's the idea behind it. Uh, but if you actually look just right here, you'll see a ball peen hammer hanging from the back of my, in my background. And this is because I feel like this is the appropriate punishment for people who would rape a child. Like, I think even a bullet might be too nice. Um, but I will say at the same time, um, I am, I'm Christian, man. I mean, you can see Jesus just right over here, but, <laughs> and so like, I have this part of me that like, I, I believe in Jesus more than anything. And I believe in peace more than anything. And like, I, I believe in self-defense. Obviously I'm down with that. Otherwise I wouldn't have 38 special bullets on my desk right now, but <laughs> this is, a reminder of the person that I kind of am on the inside, the Gary Ploche that's in me. You know what I mean? The, the one that would want that level of ultra violence if someone touched my wife or children. Right? So if anyone has ever seen this and wondered why is there a ball peen hammer just behind on right above the Holy grail from Indiana Jones and the last crusade, it's because of that, because I, wood chippers are fine that's the joke online but you know it's just there's there's something about that act that i would almost consider um and maybe i do consider it worse in some ways than straight up murder just because and maybe it's because i'm maybe i'm wrong maybe because i read your book and you were talking about um you've kind of stood up for against uh laws that would um make it so that uh, child rapists would be given the death penalty. So you you kind of go against this idea. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not worse than death, than murder. So help help me understand. All right. So I will say this. Okay. Daddy led Jeff off easy. Okay. Daddy did Jeff a favor because we're all going to die. We're all going to die one day. All right. Jeff still doesn't know it. All right, so in that sense, now if Daddy would have got off a gut shot or got a few ball peen hammer hits um, and cracked a skull, that would have been, I think, better. Um, yeah. But the thing about the the child uh, rapist not getting a death penalty is it's normally someone that the child knows. It's normally someone that the child cares about. And right. if you think children don't disclose abuse now, that would make it to where children wouldn't disclose abuse more. It would give predators uh, – they don't think they're going to get caught anyway. So it would give them more of an opportunity to continue on with the abuse. And in extreme cases, if the perpetrator thought they were going to get caught, you'd end up with more dead kids. Right. And, that, and that's what I've been thinking about. And, you know, honestly, even before I read your book, but, you know, right recently it's brought it back into my mind is – uh, what is the does just desserts for Jeff Doucette or a ball peen hammer? You know, that's that's what that that's natural law in some ways, you know, but who who are we caring for? Uh, you know, I as a father, do I really want my children to not have a father anymore because I took a ball peen hammer to a dude? Um, and it's really hard to square the circle because like. And I think that, that that leads to the question is, you know, my desire, hypothetical desire 
to kill this person who would who has hypothetically touched my child am i doing that action for me or for my child it's great well i'm gonna say if you're doing it if you're if your actions are for your child then there would be no action you know and my and my dad he did a, he did an interview with sally jesse raphael and Sally Jesse Raphael's like, you don't believe in taking your law into your own hands, do you? He goes, I do not. And she goes, but you would do it again. He goes, yes, I would. So, yeah. I mean, my dad was going against what he believed in. And my dad right. was raised Catholic and, and, you know, believed in Jesus and loved Jesus. And so he had that dilemma. And the first thing my mother told my father when they spoke on the phone, when he called her from jail, was like, you know, you're going to hell. And my dad was like, yes, I know. So even faced with going to hell, he felt he had to get justice or revenge. Well, so, and this makes me think of it. Um, one of the things my dad would tell me when I was a kid um, was he would willingly go to hell if it meant that he could drag me into heaven or protect me. Right. He was and willing think, to do that. I think a lot of fathers would do that. Oh, I, I absolutely would too. But it, this is the this is the thing, is um, my God, I lost my train of thought because that hit me emotionally. <laughs> um, but man, and I, I, you know, I loved my father, and I know you loved your father, and in different ways, they were heroes to us. Yours was a national hero, uh, maybe international. I don't know how they feel about it in Japan, but they might love it too. Um, but I, you know, I'm thinking of this, this feeling that I have for my children that I would, I would do anything. I would, I would die. I would be in pain forever. Um, but it is juxtaposed against the fact that if I did such things, I, I wouldn't, I'm, I may not be as lucky, especially in today's world. I may not be as lucky as, Gary Plochet was. You, you know? probably wouldn't be. I know. Uh, like I said, Ellie Nessler went to jail. But um, you're talking about your kids. I don't have kids. Um, but I'll tell you what. Let me show you this. I would yeah. go John Wick if somebody hurt this thing right here. <laughs> yeah, John Wick didn't take too kindly if somebody messing with his pet, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I found her walking down the side of the interstate when she was about six weeks old. And that thing follows me around the house. It sleeps on me. If I take a shower, it'll be sitting on a towel right there in the bathroom. If I go cook, she'll sit in a little basket and watch me. So I like I said, I don't have a kid. And it when I come home, it runs to me like a dog. So I don't have a kid. But I mean, if, if someone did anything to, to to my cat, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I would want to. I would want to slit their throat. You know. So I can't imagine if I had a kid. That's probably part of the reason why I don't have one. Um, but yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, so let me, so here's a question. Is it true that I, I've, I've heard it's put different ways, but was it true that your mom was mad at your father for not letting her drive him there? I, yeah, uh, I think she has resentment in the fact that she wasn't the one to pull the trigger that he got all the glory and all the credit. So, yeah, I mean, that's, she did say the least you could let me have done was drive you. <laughs> Okay, so that's what it was. Um, I have a friend who, when she was 13 years old, uh, she was raped by a 20-year-old man, right? And um, 
she got home and she told her mother what happened. And her mother, her mother's response wasn't to call the police. It wasn't to have uh, the, the thoughts of revenge. It wasn't, you know, what Gary did. It wasn't what your mom did. It was for her to say, uh, you know, I lost my virginity at 13 year old, at 13 years old too. And that was the long and the short of it. It's all she ever said about the situation. And so knowing this person, um, I have always kind of been heartbroken over the fact that she had no one. She didn't have a Gary, you know, she didn't, she didn't have, have a June. She didn't have a June either. Right. Didn't have a Gary. Didn't have a June. Um, by the way, June is such a great name, by the way. I just, your mom's name is awesome. Um, I, I, I've, I've, I tried to talk my wife into letting me put June in a couple of different, we have two girls. I tried it. I, I, I lost, uh, but um, it's always broken my heart that they haven't, she didn't have those people. Um, and let, let me ask, how, since you've worked in helping people who have been victims, um, how important is that to have? I mean, is, is having a Gary better than not having a Gary? Is having a June the, the, the way to go? Like, how? Well, yeah, I think, I, I think the June is the way to go because I even mentioned in the book, I'm like, you know, my mother's calmness. She was my counsel. Like, I didn't go get, well, they made me go see a psychiatrist for maybe six months, but it was all because of the court hearings and shit like that. But, um, I was like, my mother's calmness is probably the thing that was, that helped me the most. I was like, meanwhile, daddy's all pew, pew, pew. But you know, I mean, I at least had the proper support with her. So, and I qualify it when I say you can overcome uh, a life's tragedy, like being sexually abused. Obviously you can't overcome dying of cancer, but you can't, or, you know, I mean, you can't get over or you have to move on if a child dies or something like that. But if you're sexually abused and you get the proper support, and a lot of times family ain't the proper support. If you get the proper support, you can be okay. I had a friend of ours. Um, she was molested by her stepdad. Okay. And she was adopted. And the stepdad wasn't the original father. Uh, so basically they, this couple adopted a baby, they got divorced then she got remarried. And so the remarried guy was molesting her, feeling her up, rubbing her, and she went and told her mom and her mom said, you've always been a liar and made her go live with her dad. Jeez. And I mean, she's had, she's had mental problems throughout her adult life. So it, it, it has to be the proper support. And like a lot, of, I said, a lot of times it ain't family members. Then a lot of times it ain't friends. Friends are like, oh, suck it up. You know, no, it, sometimes it's more than suck it up. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was a blowjob joke. <laughs> yeah. No, I, a friend of mine, so a friend of mine, this is funny. So probably about a year ago, a friend of mine was at uh, Twin Peaks here and they all would want him to do a blowjob shot, right? And that's one of those things where you pour the shot, you put cream on it and you have to do the shot with your mouth and, and drink it that way, right? So they were all do it, do it, do it. So he finally did it. And I mean, I called him probably 30 seconds later. And so he answered the phone and he goes, Hey, look, speaking of blowjobs, and he showed them that it was me calling. <laughs> they freaked the fuck out on him. Cause and he's like, he's like, 
He's like, no, you got to understand. He makes these jokes to himself. <laughs> and, I, and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the most inappropriate joke I've ever made. Um, it happened a year ago. Okay, so uh, you know with this Me Too movement and shit, and I'm 50 years old. I know I got low T, and I, I appreciate it. And I, I'm, I, I actually wish I had low T when I was in my 20s because it would save me a lot of, you know, late nights. But uh, so. Um, let's just say I'm in a dry spell, not as long as I'm going to tell you in the joke, but it's been a while. So, uh, I saw Mike Burnett at, uh, Twin Peaks, the, the, the police officer with the Y Gary Y. And I said, Hey Mike, I said, come here. I was like, man, I said, I just turned 50. And I was like, so that means I was O for my forties. I said, I think I'm gonna start taking karate again. I said, because the last time I went 10 years, I said, the last time I went 10 years without sex, my parents put me in karate and look how that worked out. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. That so is... and he, he goes, boy, you got a sixth sense of humor. <laughs> that's some dark humor, but that's good. That's clever. Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, it was like, and, you know, I'm not trying to be pushback or anything. Um, the one thing that kind of made me like cock my head was at one point you were talking about Jeff and what he did. And, uh, you had talked about how he had been abused and, uh, how he was sick. And it almost sounded like you had taken some of the responsibility off of him for his actions. And I don't think that's what you were doing, but that's kind of what I was thinking as I read it. Can well, you expound on that? Okay, so his mother allegedly, according to Jeff's confession on the plane ride home, his mother had knowledge that some older men were, you know, having sex with Jeff. Okay, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure his mother was prostituting him out. I, I um, was curious about that. Yeah, so at, at some point, so so the, sec, uh, the survivor in me feels sorry for a young little Jeff boy. Okay, but at some point... As a survivor, you got to stop the cycle, and Jeff didn't. So at that point, I don't have sympathy for him. Okay, because that's just what I want. Because you know, I understand that you know it's like when people talk about how it's not mental illness that these people who do this shooting or do that aren't mentally ill, and I'm like, they are, just not in the way you're talking about it. So let's not throw that out, <laughs> right? And so yeah, I th I do think he was ill, but I you know I, that was one thing where I was like. I, I know that he's not saying he was not responsible for his actions, but that's kind of how it played in my head as I read it. And I was just like, I got to get some clarification here. Yes. Little hoard up little, little boy, Jeff, who was being hoard up by his mother. Yeah. I mean, fuck. I mean, I had a mother that, you know, loved me, cared for me. I had a father who loved for cared for me. I mean, I couldn't imagine having a mother who fucking sold me to men. I, I now I know for a fact, the mother used to sell the sister out because the sister told my mother. Right. Um, one of the things that I really liked in your book was the way you talked about your healing and your pro that, that process. Um, and you talked about how a lot of times when people go through these situations, the way we talk about it makes it seem as though they are ruined forever, that there's nothing they can do, that their existence is marred. And My biggest pet peeve. The way you said it was, I had a bad year. And, and actually, I had a bad moments in a pretty good year. Yeah. Well, well, I just I want to I just want to say I really appreciated that um, perspective because you know we hear these stories and we think about how 
destroy, and I'm sure that went through your dad's mind, how they've destroyed my son. They've destroyed my daughter. They've hurt them. They've, I, I, I heard something, uh, there was some, someone talking about, it, I think on TikTok as I was scrolling, how, um, they are irreparably harmed for the rest of their lives. And then the words that you said in your book, I had a bad year went through my head. Um, and so uh, maybe I, I think it's such a great line, but is there, is there anything you think should be expounded upon on that or some, well, I will get to the hope at the end, but something that you would tell victims in that area. All right. So the quote that you quoted, I know exactly where you saw that from. You were watching that news articles, ABC news. And that's where I was talking about um, the kids and the death penalty. Right. And Ted Cruz is the one that's who said one. that it was on your website. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Ted Cruz is the one who said that. And I want I what he has the most punchable face I've ever seen. And, you yes. know, by saying that blobfish, and no, it's it's a great little soundbite, but it's bullshit. Okay, or the or the woman who told her daughter that it doesn't kill a child, it kills their soul. Well, right. that girl's probably swinging around a pole right now. So, no, all right, what all I have to say is with the proper support you can be okay. It is a grieving process, a healing process. You can, you know, I mean, think about how many people are victimized. I mean, look, I mean, you think Oprah, uh, the Lady Gaga, Madonna, uh, I mean, shit, even Mike Tyson was sexually abused as a child. Sugar Ray Leonard was sexually abused as a child. I mean, uh, I mean, these people have gone on to do great things. You know, what so you you're tell not parents or life. guardians in that situation. It sounds like your mom's calmness uh, is one of the things that that helped you in the aftermath. But there are. Uh, guardians and parents that are facing this situation who there's no playbook that that they've uh, been given to deal with this. So what would you suggest to them? Buy my book. There you go. There is a playbook. (laughs) There is a playbook. (laughs) No, there's a lot of good information for parents. And a friend of mine who doesn't even have have kids, bartender at Twin Peaks, she read the book and she she mentioned chapter 17. She said, you mentioned a lot of things in there. And it's like a three-page chapter that she goes, I would have never thought of about, yeah. you know, what the, saying things around your kids. I mean, when you say, you know, someone does it to my kid, I'll kill him. Well, guess what? That kid thinks you're going to kill him and Uncle Bill's doing it or Uncle Paul's doing it. And they don't want Uncle Paul to be killed. So the name, but I, the, I would, the fact that you chose Uncle Paul and I've got one of those. Well, Jeff was Jeffrey Paul. Well, it's funny because I think you used it in the book, too. And I was like, I have one of those. This is like just hitting so close to home, man. <laughs> okay, wait. All right. So let me tell about Jim Norton's story because this is a perfect segue into it before we go. Stand-up um, comedian Jim Norton, right? Stand-up comedian. My favorite comedian. I just saw him back in January. Um, and so I was in New York City, and I had uh, emailed him and be like, all right, so first off, I never listened to Opie and Anthony whenever I lived in Pennsylvania. I lived there for seven years, and they were real popular. Um, it wasn't until the Sandusky trial. I was in Houston, and someone texted me, hey, they're talking about you on uh, Opie and Anthony. So Jim Norton has this character, Uncle Paul, who's a child molester. He's like wow. the one – He's like the one. Uh, there was a skit on Saturday Night Live years ago. I forget what the uncle's – Uncle Roy. Um, there was a skit where Uncle Roy was a child molester, and he was molesting the daughters or whatever. So Uncle Paul – to me is one of my favorite characters of all time because he's so inappropriate. And if you ever, if you want to hear something, I think it's dark humor, go listen to uncle Paul molest baby Hitler. (laughs) So what a string of words. So they were talking about it. So anyway, so long story short, I emailed Jim Norton. I go see him in Addison, Texas. 
I don't say nothing to him. I tell him I went and he's like, man, the next time you go, let me know. So we went and saw him in Dallas at the house of blues. And I, I get to him and I'm like, Hey, I'm Jody. My dad's got a shot to guy in the airport. He's like, Oh shit, let me, let's take a selfie. So he pulls out his phone. He takes a selfie and he's like, I'm going to send this to Anthony right now. So we're lined up to take a picture with him. And these people are like, who the fuck is this guy? wondering who the fuck I am. Right. So I hear Jim's going to be at the fat black pussycat. I think this was like 2016 or 2017 <laughs> in New York city, trying out new material, $5. I mean, I just paid $45 to see him. Well, I paid a hundred dollars to see him twice. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm like, if I can go see my favorite comedian for $5, I'm going, I'm there. So I talked to my friend, Tiffany, um, very, very attractive black lady. I was like, Hey, you would, would you like to go see Jim Norton with me? She's like, yeah. So we go to the place called Off the Wagon. I think I put it wrong in the book. I think I put uh, the wrong name uh, or three sheets, whichever one I put the wrong one in the book. But we go have a few drinks. We go have a few drinks next door at this bar. We go see Jim Norton. We're second row front row. I mean, second row center. I mean, we're right there. So Jim does his new hour of material. And when he's done, he's trying to do crowd work. So he looks at this guy and he's like, hey, um, what's your favorite genre of porn? Well, the guy was with a, a woman. It could have been his wife or his girlfriend or fiance or whatever. And the guy's like, and he's like, oh, you don't want to answer, huh? Because you got, oh, okay. So he looks at the crowd. He's like, hey, what's your favorite genre of porn? And Tiffany yells out, anal. <laughs> and Jim Norton whips his head, looks at her, and he goes, ma'am, do you know who you're sitting next to? <laughs> he's like, that's my friend Jody. When Jody, and then he looks at me, he's like, is it okay? I'm like, yeah, it's okay. He's like, that's my friend Jody. When he was younger, he was sexually abused. And so he goes and he tells the story. But the fact that he was that quick, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, and felt comfortable enough, like, do you know? And so Tiffany's like, oh my God, Jody, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what are you apologizing for? My favorite comedian just introduced me to the crowd in New York City. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, comedy comes from pain, it, it, it's where it comes from. Is that why I'm so funny? That's right. Yeah, you look pretty. I'm boring. Well, no, you know, Jim Norton, he's also the one that said, you know, if you go on a date, y'all go out to eat, and the date goes great, you kiss her goodnight at the end of the date. He's like, there's nothing funny about that. He's like, if he goes down you and throws up because she's drunk on your dick, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so of course, you know, I, I I have tons of questions. So maybe maybe one day we'll we'll talk again and do this. Um, but uh, we've we've hit. What? We're about to hit. Do you want to do a quick rapid fire? Um, I, I have sure. a couple of questions. Yeah, let's rapid fire. Yeah, you, one, one is uh, about uh, your story. Another is uh, maybe a little more light, lighthearted part. But you said your brother didn't like the guy. Did he, had, he, had he always not liked the guy? My older brother didn't. I think maybe Jeff tested his boundaries, like maybe yeah. put his hands in his. My older brother responded like, "Fuck this dude, I, I'm away from him." So uh, I don't know if. That was a conscious decision, my older brother, but he he didn't like Jeff. Yeah, yeah. And my other one is, you're an LSU basketball fan, I presume. Like, sounds like. Not not this year. <laughs> no. Well, not very good this year. Uh, so are you a Pistol Pete fan? My grandparents are buried about seven, six, seven plots away from Pistol Pete. Um, absolutely. Did I want that guy to break his record? Absolutely no, not. That's what I was going to ask you about. Me too. I was so happy that he did not break that because it was so uh, so ridiculous, the situation. Absolutely. No <laughs> all right. So Pete Maravich played basketball at LSU, and he's the all-time leading scorer in college basketball. Unbelievable. But when, when he yeah. played, he could only play three years because they didn't allow the freshmen to play. Well, yep. they had a COVID player who has gotten five years to play basketball. That was coming. I think he came three points from tying him. Yeah. And so like double the amount of games. 
Yeah, he played double the amount of games and almost broke it. And I did a uh, – are y'all familiar with Lamont at large? I did a, a thing with Lamont two years ago, and then we went to Pete Maravich's grave, my grandparents' grave. And I mentioned in there, I was like, this record will never be broken unless it's by someone at a small school. Right. And Detroit Mercy is where the, Detroit the school Mercy was. Too. Yeah. And Maravich so, yeah, averaged 44 points a game. There was no three-point line at the time. This guy averaged 24. Somebody did a statistical and, thing based on where he took shots, said had there been a three-point line when he played, he would have averaged 56 points a game. And no shot clock. So he wasn't getting to <laughs> yeah, every right. 35 seconds. Yeah. I'll tell you, speaking of LSU basketball story, all right, so this is one of my three – This is no, this is, this is up to like five coincidences, but I, I'll just tell you this one. I'm sitting at Twin, Twin Peaks a couple years ago. Fucking Shaq walks in. I'm like, oh, shit, my sister loves Shaq. So I text my sister. I'm like, your favorite person just walked into Twin Peaks. She's like, who? I'm like, Shaq. She goes, oh, my God, you got to give him a book. Because I went to middle school with Shaq's, like, personal assistant. Mm. So I was like, all right. So I signed a book, and I put on their page, like, 104, DMAC. If you remember me talking about LSU basketball, uh, Derek Mallett, the guy who gave me the autograph program. Okay, that's Shaq's personal assistant. So I sent, the, I sent the book over with a waitress, and she handed Shaq the book. Well, Shaq was having dinner with this, you know, man. And all of a sudden, that man looks up, and I see him looking for me. So I raise my hand, and I wave, and he waves me over. Turns out, Shaq was having dinner with the son of Bud Connor. Bud Connor is the cop who was walking next to Jeff when Daddy shot him. Wow. So what are the odds? I send one of the most famous persons on the planet a copy of my book, and he's having dinner with the son of the cop who was, you know, featured in the video. That's crazy. Wow. I have to tell you, I'm a Georgia Tech fan. 1990, Kenny Anderson, all them playing Shaq. It's uh, one of the, one of the few good years Georgia Tech had. 1986, I went and saw Georgia Tech play Villanova in the regionals here in Baton Rouge. I got Dwayne Farrell's wristband, and I shook hands with Bobby Crimmins. Bobby Crimmins is awesome. <laughs> uh let me think quick questions and i'll end with i'll end with our, our big question um but one is uh are there any myths that you would like to point out that uh come from being sexually abused like is is it a myth that people continue the cycle or is that a regular part that goes along when that happens to someone uh, does it make you gay? Like what uh, things like that? Are there? Are uh, well, there, I, there I can I can I can tell you. Well, and you know I addressed that in the book. Uh, do you want me to say what I put? Sure. <laughs> so I mean, people always like want to know whether I'm gay or not. I'm not like I, I, I. This post I put on Facebook the other day, I told my mother if they were going to put me on trial for being gay, this would be like the first post I did. <laughs> I did cats. I sing my song. I mean, songs I sing about to my cat. You know, I mean, because we all t- talk to our pets stupidly, right? Yeah. Not stupidly, but in baby voices and shit like that. So, um, no, it doesn't make you gay. I liked Farrah Fawcett before I met Jeff. I, I'm a blonde haired blue eye guy. Um, and it, it, no, it's not going to convert somebody. Now, if someone is young and, and I address this as far as like acting out, if like, let's say a grown man performs oral sex on a little eight year old boy. Okay, and the little eight-year-old boy says, oh, my God, that feels good. Well, now he knows, knows a new little trick, so he's not going to show his friend. So you might have that eight-year-old boy blowing his seven-year-old friend. Parents find him. Oh, he's sexually abusing him. No, he's not. He's acting out. There's a difference. I want people to know that. Um, um, let's see. Another rumor. Um, 
I would say like, you know, we know like it doesn't matter what you wear. When I would do programs for high school kids, I'm like, just because a woman is dressed to get her some doesn't mean she wants it from you. Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah, I dress owed that. No, you're never owed sex ever. <laughs> what a, I, I make the joke about like a like a prime filet. I say that's an after sex uh, dinner. <laughs> You know, we go to Taco Bell before sex. Once you give it to me, then I'm gonna cook you a fillet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so a stupid question and then the big question of the show and we can we can wrap up. Um is a hot dog a sandwich? Mm. How did question. you know to ask me that? That's a good question. I, I it's did one thousand percent a fucking sandwich. Thank you. Thank you. Because if it's not a sandwich, Neither is a meatball sub. Neither is any sub, actually. Jimmy Jones right. doesn't sell sandwiches. But no. if a hot dog is not a sandwich. But what a if uh, Joe Biden's feeding it to Stacey Abrams, Cam? That's never a sandwich. That's a <laughs> <laughs> it's a euphemism. <laughs> but that was that that was your best question of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hot dog is a sandwich. Uh, my, my my other favorite stupid so, question too. is: um, Do you think there are more doors? or wheels on the planet? Mm. I guess I could use my philosophy minor and it goes, um, it depends on how you look at doors. I mean, you know, is it a real door or is it just like someone opening up an opportunity? <laughs> there you go. Is it a metaphor or is it physical? Let's, let's right, do some so conspiracies. Let's do some conspiracies. Ask me what I think about the moon landing. <laughs> Right. Do you believe that the moon landing happened? Hell no. <laughs> you know what? Why? I go, because I can walk outside and look up. That's all I got to do. I just got to look up. And for those who are like thinking I'm a lunatic, watch something happened. A funny thing happened on the way to the moon. Watch that. Just watch it. Brad, since you are the host of the propaganda report, how about you ask him some conspiracy questions? Well... I mean, I used to love like old. Like, do you believe in aliens? That's like the fun conspiracies we used to we used to be able to talk about. Well, I, I think I think the government's leaning towards the fact that they're about to let us know, but they got to break it to us slowly. So in about five years, yeah, or maybe maybe sooner than that. But yeah, I I don't believe we're so special. We're the only people out of these hundred thousand million planets that we're the only ones walking around alive. I agree. I, I don't think we'd know what they look like if they were in the room with us. You know, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> According to Trump, aliens are crossing every day. <laughs> right? Yeah, we got to we got to close with the uh, the border. I will say this: lizard people, I don't subscribe to. Uh, flat Earth is embarrassing to conspiracy theorists. Um, I think that's a psyop, actually. By the way, that's a what? A psyop. I think it's a, a psychological a psychological operation to make people who believe real conspiracies out to be crazy because they can lump them in that's how they sign up steph curry because he started talking about flat earth that's how they one of the ways they demonize uh kyrie irvin because he he was open to the possibility about about the flat earth and, and they they do they try to have these kind of extreme theories or or uh, and i i don't know much about flat earth theory but then theories that can easily demonize people so then people who question things like the vaccine they say oh that person's a flat earther and they can just try and discredit anything that that person says these techniques like that well, I spend a lot of time watching flat earther videos, and I'll tell you basically what their argument is. Flat earther is the religious based argument, okay? Well, but, because, but even so, I, just real quick, I'll say anyone who's arguing the flat Earth from the Bible does not know how to read the Bible. 
there's also the, there's no such thing as dinosaurs, and that's a that's a Bible yeah. uh, religious based thing too. Because if you have to say, oh well, the Earth is you know five point three billion years old, you're like that kind of you know I mean, what? And, and I, I I respect anyone's faith. Uh, I, I even put in the beginning of the book, um, I am not faithful, and the, the thing that made me not faithful was my astronomy class. Hmm. Well, and, and I will say, I think that a lot of times is that happens a lot because people don't know how to read the Bible. They don't know how to read Genesis. They don't understand the genre. So, and I'm not saying you, but I'm saying people who talk about it a lot don't know what they're talking about half the time, if not more. Michelle Obama, Michelle or Michael? <laughs> By my answer, you'll know what I think. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been a lot of fun. I've really loved talking to you, even though we got into some, some darkness but we're, we're coming to the light um one of the things that this show does and has since its inception um is we have been living in a dark time over the last couple of years there have been people that i've known of who have um either lost loved ones or killed themselves over the past couple of years of desperation that people have lived under um and so one of the things i wanted to do with this show was to bring hope to people and to give them some uh, silver lining, something that they can cling on to, to have that hope in their life. And so cling the question on. that I ask at the end of every episode Sorry. is, uh, regardless of if it's global, local, national, personal, what is something in your life right now that gives you hope and the motivation to carry on? All right. I'll tell you what gives me hope. I um, On April 6th, I will be in Richmond, Virginia at a sex offender training or sex offender treatment conference. Um <laughs> I'm the final training conference. You shouldn't go. No, no, yeah. Now, um, I'll be traveling to Richmond, Virginia. I haven't really gone anywhere in the last three years. The last three years have been miserable. And let me just say this. Um, I was not a fan of Kobe Bryant's. I believe that he raped a girl in Colorado. And if I could go back to the day Kobe died and keep him alive to avoid the pandemic, I would do that. Um, but I'm going to be traveling there speaking. Um, it's my best pay and speaking event ever um i i gave them the option of buying the book from me um at 25 percent discount and they ended up getting 380 people so um that's my payment which is what i need right now i mean i am in serious debt but what gives me hope is doing interviews is to getting you know the story out there i mean everyone every parent should read my book and i'm not just saying that but i graduated college from lsu I joined an organization named Men Against Violence. I left my life in Texas. I moved to T Dallas after Irving, after I graduated from LSU, spent seven years in Pennsylvania. I served as a sexual assault crisis counselor. I did community education programs. I wanted my book to be the playbook that you said we don't have. And when I did an interview locally for the paper, when my book first came out, the guy asked me, what took me so long? What took you so long to write your book? And I told him, I said, like that night, 39 years ago tonight in that airport, like my dad, I knew I only had one shot to get it right. Yeah, I think you have a great uh, a great story that I think can help a lot of people. I, I, I know uh, people who, who work with children who – who go through um, abuse and uh, I don't know that a, a lot of them are able to come out of it. And I think that you offer um, hope for them to come out of it. It's available on Amazon and you can get it 
paperback, Kindle, or now, uh, starting November 1st, you can get it on Audible. We've, we completed that project a couple months ago. I and I actually... That. I like the audiobook better than I like reading the book because it's easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I will say that the link to the uh, on Amazon, the paperback and the um, Kindle is in the description. So if you want to read it, you can do it there. I will. Say, it's also on Kindle Unlimited right now. So if you have a Kindle Unlimited plan or get one of their, um, they have a free trial that's either a month or three months, depending on what's going on. I would Google for the three months. Uh, you can actually read it for free. If you want, and Jody will still get it. Yeah, and don't feel bad because I still get royalties off the Kindle Unlimited. Yep. So uh, if you if you have that, check it out. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to keep talking to you because you're just a fun person to talk to. Um, we could talk conspiracy sometimes. Just do a whole separate uh, yeah, uh, topic. Let's do a whole another one, uh, uh, show yeah. that isn't about child rape. I'll come back yeah. on. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know that I ever would have heard that line before in my life before tonight, but I'm. I'm glad I did. Let's do a show no. not about rape. No, I, 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 sometimes I like to sign my book, uh, this will be the best book about kidnapping, child rape, and murder you'll ever read. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you go in a second, but before you go, I did want to say if people want to follow you on Twitter, you're at J Ploche. That's J-P-L-A-U-C-H-E. Uh, the book is in the description. You can click on those links directly and get a get a copy. And you have a website, jodyploche.net. Uh, is there anything else? And my, like and my cash app, my cash app. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, throw it out there. Let's see what we can do. No, uh, you know what? And if you want a signed copy of the book, I always keep some on me. That's why I was able to give Shaquille O'Neal one. Um, if you'd like a signed copy uh, in the United States, it's going to be uh, $20 for the book, $5 shipping and handling. Um, just send me an email and I can get you out a copy. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much. I'll let you go and continue your night without talking about rape anymore unless you just go and talk to your friends about true crime i mean you uh, and I'm, I'm probably gonna go watch uh, svu i gotta finish the one up where uh the the one detective shot her sister's boyfriend if anyone's familiar with the show but it's right after the mike tyson episode so <laughs> thank you so much uh hey, thank talk, you thanks for talking to us yeah. love to talk all to right. you again y'all have a good yeah. night you too all right so for the rest of you uh, first, this is, I know you know him, but you know, that's, that's Brad. You can follow him on Twitter at Freedom Act Radio. Uh, you can check out the propaganda report, which I'm on occasionally at propagandafight.com. Um, he's on there. He's on Patreon. Just search for propaganda. Patreon.com slash propaganda report. Uh, he's also on, uh, Rockfin. If you'd like to get the XRs a different way, Patreon, you get extra extra long episodes rockfin you get extra long episodes just like my show because i i steal everything i can from brad <laughs> but um anything else we want to tell them about you uh you can follow me at freedom act radio on twitter youtube.com slash brad binkley and uh, that's about it all right so for me let me go ahead and tell you i wasn't expecting this until a couple days ago uh, but the world is ending on march 20th um there is a a cult called Pro profundity yours horribly named cult they need to get a marketing team but the, the the world's ending march 20th so in you know four days from now uh we'll you know we'll all be gone this fucking um, party dude but siren warner he is known as the cult destroyer um he is coming back on the show to tell us about that and tell us what to expect uh that'll be saturday 8 30 p.m eastern time 
Um, and then we're back to our, our normal Thursday thing. If you would like to get the longer episodes, this is a special one. You got the whole thing this time. If you want the whole thing next time, patreon.com slash the mad ones, uh, t-shirt mugs, mulleted presidents, wrestling presidents. We are the mad ones.com slash store. I'm on Twitter at ham Carlos. Uh, if you're listening and would rather watch youtube.com slash the mad ones, uh, Rockfin, uh, we also have Rockfin. So if you want the extended episodes, you can also get it there. Um, I, I don't, I guess the link is slash the mad ones. I don't know. Just search it's for probably, it. Like, I mean, it's a lot to do in four days though. I, I'm like trying to buy some cocaine and mushrooms. That's now, true. That's true. To just die. listen to all of all watch or listen to all of my episodes in the next four days and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah. And so if you'd rather listen, because looking at me is so unfortunate, you can go to we're the mad ones.com, listen directly there or any, uh, any podcast distributor i'm on Cam, that. kim somebody commented on uh so sam uploaded the show that we did the other night too on rockfin i saw one of the comments it was like uh, uh sam hanging out with with uh loki and thor bro <laughs> nice well i mean i do have my hammer right there yeah so i mean i can use it if i need to you need to get your crown back i know um, it's broken on- I get another one. beyond that i have nothing to tell anyone so uh we will see i'll see you saturday um if you want to join Saturday, let me know, Brad, because we can we can make this party happen again then. Uh, but yeah, for the rest of you, as always, you have a chance to be a light in the world. Uh, so go light it up. Yeah.